That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Super excited about today's show, uh, in part because I generally think that, you know, I I look forward to college football and the college football season maybe more than anything else. Spring football is going to start here, coming up in like uh, a week for some of these Pac-12 schools. Jonathan Smith's going to join us today, right here in the 3 o'clock hour, Oregon State football coach. Haven't really talked to him since he won his 10th game. What's he been doing? I heard he was in Maui. He doesn't know that I know that. I heard from somebody else that he was in Maui. Talk about what Jonathan Smith does on on his vacation. Plus, we'll visit with Scott Keller, the Century High School boys basketball coach. He's coming up at 4 o'clock uh, right here on the program. And, uh, you know, he's such a good story. Teachers, coaches, much respect for you. You're out there uh, doing the work of uh, a community, really. Raising kids, teaching, discipline, imparting wisdom, life lessons. I don't know. I I, I think, like, back to the teachers I had, I got tremendous advice from teachers. I remember one of my um, high school English teachers in particular, and I got to be honest, he wasn't my favorite teacher at the school, but he was a good teacher. And, And But what I mean by he wasn't my favorite teacher is that this guy was a little difficult as a you know you ever, you ever have a teacher that was difficult but you knew it was for your own good you're nodding like there was there was always the cool like the cool teacher at the school at our our high school was a guy named Mr. Oliver Mr. Oliver Stephen you would have loved the guy he uh may he rest in peace Jim Oliver he was a diehard sports fan and a bit of a gambler and what Mr. Oliver used to do on our high school campus is he would leave his door open at all hours, all times, 7 a.m. to about 5 p.m. He would be in his classroom. And it was a cool place to stop by if you're walking to your other class. And, in fact, I had Mr. Oliver for a couple of classes. He taught he taught government and he taught U.S. history. And so I had him for a couple of classes. And everybody kind of had Mr. Oliver at one point or another. But what Mr. Oliver had going on in his classroom was it was kind of an open-door policy. Like, you would be in class and – couple people who weren't in his class would stop by and just kind of walk in and hang out for a bit. And and Mr. Oliver, what he did every day is he would put the lines of that week's NFL games and that week's college games on his board up at the front of the room. Now, I don't know how he got away with this. It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't fly in today's world. Somebody would have pulled their phone out and put it on TikTok or Instagram. School district would have found out about it. The superintendent would have been down there 15 minutes later handing him his walking papers. But what Mr. Oliver did with students is Mr. Oliver would say, hey, he'd say, hey, Johnny, you like the Niners? 
Do you like him? Do you like him minus seven though this week against the Rams? And I might say, and again, I'm like a 16-year-old high school kid. I might say I really like the Niners, and uh, and yeah, I like him to cover the seven points. And Mr. Oliver would say, I'll bet you soda on it. Now he only wagered in sodas, and at that time, at that era, uh, a can of Pepsi at my school in that era was 50 cents. So he was making 50 cent wagers with high school kids. Now, judge him as you will see fit, but here was the thing. If you lost that wager, you didn't have to pay Mr. Oliver. If he lost it, he would pay you, but if you wanted to pay him, you could settle up at the end of the year. And so what would always happen is the last week of school, during the last week of uh, you know high school, uh, as everybody was kind of getting ready for summer, you would see students on campus getting dropped off by their parents with cases of soda because they had to bring in like four cases of soda to Mr. Oliver, and they would just stack it in the corner of his room. I don't think the guy paid for a soda ever in his lifetime. He was the house. But he would use the lines on the games to talk about economics. He would use the lines on the games to uh, get kids engaged in, in uh, the classroom teaching because he would launch right from, hey, I can't believe the Dallas Cowboys covered on Monday Night Football. And by the way, every kid in the classroom knew what, covered meant uh i can't believe that they covered uh but then he would launch right into some uh explanation about uh you know the inner workings of the nfl front office the league office and how economics work in the world and he'd give you real world examples like salary cap examples but steven you're gonna love this he would often go hey today we're gonna cover um why the irs was formed or if Stephen can wad up a piece of paper on his desk, and Stephen, you'd be in the back row as I, as I see this classroom, and Stephen can make a basket from where he is into the wastebasket, instead of that, we won't do anything. We'll just talk. We'll let you do your homework in classroom. And he would make that wager. And so the whole class was on the edge of their seat. Like, I, he drew us in. And, yes, there was problems with this. I understand that. Don't at me. Don't email me. Don't tell me that's such a bad example. Uh, Mr. Oliver, got you excited about going to his classroom, Stephen? That's the main thing I've learned as a uh, husband of a wife of a teacher. Like, you just want the kids to be excited, and you want them to take away something. And I do. I agree with you. I think that there is a lot you can learn from gambling or from the stock market because it's all about probabilities. It, it can go back to probabilities. It can. You can. It's a real world thing. So I, uh, yeah, I would love that class. I remember I had a teacher where you know I was uh, he was my, one of my basketball coaches as well so like he had a little basketball hoop hanging up on the wall and we would just shoot little taped tape basketballs uh, throughout the day like in our little study hall class cuz all my all my work was done and all the kids would be looking at me cuz they're doing work I'm like no my work is done like I can I can hang out and practice my practice shooting so I, I agree like and that's half the battle these high school kids like you just got to get them engaged somehow and if they, you know and obviously this made an impact on you John like for your whole life so yeah dude it's it's, it's a good one I remember there's two things that I remember from Mr. Oliver. You only had one rule. First of all, you had to bring your book to class. If you didn't bring your book to class, you got mad. That was the only thing he'd get mad at. You could get up and walk around during class. You could turn around and talk to LaRue who's sitting behind you and, you know, talk to her about, you know, what it, what her life as a cheerleader is like. You could uh, you could be flicking a paper football back and forth with a friend who's sitting next to you. But if you forgot your book, Mr. Oliver, you were in his doghouse. And, and in fact, he would say, I'll see you after, after school if you didn't bring your book today because he wasn't in the business of babysitting. I learned, the other thing I learned from him, was he spent a week during our high school senior year. He said, I'm going to teach you how to do your own taxes. He, he brought in the 1040 easy form. He brought in a fake W-2. 
and he had the classroom learn how to do a tax return. Uh, it, you know, all my friends, by the time I got to college or whatever, were all using, like, their parents' accountant or TurboTax or whatever. I can tell you for years, as I went to do my tax return early in my career when I was doing my own taxes and whatnot, I would say, thank you, Mr. Oliver, for teaching me how to do my taxes. It did not intimidate me. The 1040 easy, the 1040 long form did not uh, did not intimidate me because he taught us that. The other thing he would do is often, if you had him for a morning class, he might say, "Hey, Peter, Peter Sampson, be over there, kind of half asleep in the in the side of the classroom." He'd throw you the keys to his red convertible Mustang, he had like a 1968 red convertible Mustang, cherry red, and he'd say, "Go get the class donuts," and he'd throw you his own car keys, and then he'd throw you some money. And then every, the whole class would be waiting for Peter to return for this donut run that would take him a half an hour during class time. But I just remember being completely engaged, loving the guy as a teacher, learning from the guy. And then you talk about the stock market. I was in Mr. Oliver's class uh, in October of 1989 when the stock market crashed. And Mr. Oliver, this is pre being online, he had no Charles Schwab app. He had no Ameritrade app where he could make his transactions. This is Mr. Oliver in the back of the classroom on the phone with his stockbroker. You know, as we're coming into the classroom, he goes, no class today. <laughs> Just dealing with the stock market. And then he, you know, he ensued, like the ensuing class days were him spent uh, telling, talking to us about what happened with the stock market. Like we understood interest rates and how they moved the market. We understood the bond market. We understood how to do a tax return. And hell, he even spent a day right before graduation talking to us how, about how to do our own laundry when we went to college. And I, I remember those things. And I digress. I go back to the advice that I said I got from this other teacher that wasn't my favorite teacher, Mr. Sarekstad. He was brilliant. He was an English teacher. But he said to me on our and the whole class on our way out of you know our senior year, he said, go enjoy college. It's going to be the best time of your life. <laughs> and that's, that was his advice as he sent us out the door. And meanwhile, years later, even as a sports columnist at the Mercury News and then later the Oregonian, and, you know, Mr. I'd get an email now and then from Jim Oliver who would say, hey, uh, you know, you're, you're out there covering sports. I don't know if I got any kind of love of sports because I had it all the time from Mr. Oliver, but I can tell you I was excited about being in his class. And – the other most amazing thing that I've ever seen in a classroom happened in Mr. Oliver's classroom, okay? Uh, and this is a remarkable story. We had a kid that I grew up with all through elementary school, middle school, high school, named Glenn. Glenn had cerebral palsy. Glenn was in a wheelchair. And I watched Glenn go from being, you know, in a walker as a kid to, in a, to a chair in middle school and then really in a, in a motorized chair in high school and loved Glenn. And everybody loved Glenn. But Mr. Oliver had a soft spot for Glenn. And, Mr., you know, at that time, it wasn't uh, – our classrooms were not like a lot of the classrooms today. They were not inclusive. A lot of the special ed kids were siphoned off into special ed classes with – Para, you know, paraeducators so they could have one-on-one -on -one education, but they were taken out of the regular classroom, which I think, you know, I don't really support that. I like the inclusion as long as you can, you can have the support that the students need in the classroom. And Glenn was in our classroom, and Mr. Oliver let him sit at his desk because his wheelchair could not get behind a regular student desk. 
So Glenn got to sit at the front of the room, Mr. Oliver's class, in his wheelchair. Well, uh, on the final week of school, uh, I was sitting at my desk, as was every other student in the classroom, and we noticed Glenn put his hands on Mr. Oliver's desk. And I'll never forget this. He put his two, the palms of his hands on the desk, he leaned forward, and he lifted himself out of his chair. And he stood without the use of, you know, the chair, without anybody around him. He was wobbling. He had his arms out to the side like he was Leonardo DiCaprio on the front of the Titanic with Kate Winslet. And he had the biggest smile on his face as he was teetering there at the front of the room. And I will never forget what, what Mr. Oliver exclaimed. I will hear it for the rest of my life as Glenn stood there at the front of that classroom. He said, Holy Mary of God! Glenn, it's a miracle. And the whole classroom burst into applause. And Glenn, uh, you know, he had been practicing that. And he, and that was his moment. He was on the stage in front of Mr. Oliver's class. I will never forget it. Uh, I want to hear from you. The best advice you ever got from an educator, because we're having a great one on today's show. Scott Keller coming up at 4 o'clock. Give me that, that educator that impacted you, the advice that you got. As I tell those stories, the English teacher who said, hey, Go enjoy college. It's going to be the best time of your life. Or Mr. Oliver saying, hey, uh, you know, yes, we're learning about the Constitution. Yes, we're learning about economics. But, hey, uh, let me give you something practical that you can use in your life, in your world. Here's how point spreads work in sports. I understood when I left high school, as did everybody in that classroom, that it wasn't really the bookmakers saying this is what we think is going to happen in the game. It was the bookmakers saying, hey, I want uh, you know, the same amount of money bet on both sides of this line so that I can make the spread. And we understood that. And in fact, it de deterred me as a college student from gambling because I understood that you know, this, was, uh, this was not a proposition that was a winning proposition in the long run. I saw a stack of sodas in the corner of Mr. Oliver's room. Uh, and you know, several years ago when he passed away, I can remember being sad for him because he was an older teacher even when I was in high school. But, man, what an impact he had on me, and I bet you everybody who came through his classroom in probably what was about 35 to 40 years of him teaching got something from him. You tell me, what's the best advice you ever got? We're going to talk sports on today's show. we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the NBA. The Lakers have got some drama going on. Plus, Jonathan Smith will be joining us coming up at 3.30. 503-417-7575 is the number. you got the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I didn't intend to start today's show by talking about Mr. Oliver, but how could I not? Seahawks are looking at a quarterback at number five they're drafting fifth in the nfl draft coming up they're working to re-sign geno smith but john schneider and pete carroll say they're taking a hard look at this year's quarterback class um, they described their contact their contract talks with smith as positive by the way he's the uh, reigning nfl comeback player of the year but are they are they bluffing at five are they bluffing and saying that they are looking at a quarterback but trying to re-sign Geno Smith. I, I actually think that the Seahawks are probably looking at the other teams in the NFL and going, unless you have a no-brainer, 
that you can pick high in the draft because it is a crapshoot. For every Justin Herbert, you know, there is uh, there is a misfire. For every Joe Burrow, there is a misfire. And, and you know, but I also look at Geno Smith, guys, and uh, I don't see it. I You know, I watched him in the playoffs. I watched him this regular season late in the year, and he's an unrestricted free agent. I get it, but uh, I think the Seahawks are trying to get a deal done with him but I think they're also trying to get a deal done with him that does not marry him to them forever. Uh, I think it's going to be really tricky for them. So I think they might actually be negotiating publicly with Geno by saying they're considering a quarterback at five because they want him on a reasonable deal that isn't going to lock them into you know a big number for multiple years because I cannot – I cannot foresee a situation in which the Seahawks spend $32 million on Geno Smith. Like, I just that doesn't make sense to me. I think that there are a lot of options, especially given what we saw. Look at the 49ers taking Brock Purdy with the final pick of the draft and turning him into a guy that can get you places. I think John Schneider and Pete Carroll know that. Steven, are they bluffing here? Yeah, and I think... I think the fact that they turned around Geno Smith and made him a competent quarterback this season speaks to you know what what they want to do offensively. They don't need that star quarterback. So I think I think they are bluffing a little bit. Now if they fall in love with someone at five, like you said, it's probably gonna be, you know, a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson, maybe a guy that's not even quite ready to play yet in week one. So it could be a it could be a thing where they do love one of those guys and then they're trying to get Geno at a cheaper deal just to, you know, play for another year or two before they have to throw out, you know, Richardson or Levis. But I don't think the Seahawks are really worried about the quarterback position, which is very weird in the NFL. Like, it's, it seems like it's all about the quarterback, but they got rid of Russell Wilson, and they were fine with it. Like, they're like, you know, we don't really need him. We can just go along. We believe in Pete Carroll, John Schneider, what they do, and I think that's what they're going to do again this season. Like, I don't think they value the quarterback as much as other teams do. So if they do fall in love with one of those guys at five, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, it's one of those things where you probably don't want to play him right away, and so they're just trying to get Geno Smith done a lower deal. But I think in I think best case scenario for the Seahawks is they they probably want to try to move back in the draft and get more draft picks and rely on how well they draft. You look at last year's draft; it was really good. I think that's what they want to do. They want to trade back, and get as many picks as possible. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, for me, those are the only two players you should be talking about. It maybe at five, and I I know Anthony Richardson's got a ton of upside. I know everybody's talking about how Grady looked at different points of the year. He's big, he's fast, he's got a good arm. But I just don't see being fifth in the draft as a position where you take a big risk. So, yeah, because, so, so, oh, sorry. Yeah. So speaking of uh, betting and stuff like that, Anthony Richardson, his odds to, in the NFL draft have moved up incredibly uh, to be the number one pick. A couple, maybe like it's ridiculous. We go yeah. like 50 to 1. He's up to uh, plus 650. He's the fourth most likely option to be the number one pick in the draft. Like he is moving up the draft boards. And I'm with you. Like he is such an unfinished product, but I, I there's it's one of those guys where an offensive coordinator could fall in love with him. And be like you know, we can mold him and make him a superstar in the NFL. I had a uh, you know I was really lucky in that my, I would happen to be at the San Jose Mercury News maybe 2001 ish, and they had a beat reporter, and so they kind of assigned me to be the NFL columnist. And what the job entailed was I was supposed to write like bigger picture stories about the NFL and. And I had the luxury of being not just in the 49er locker room or the Raider locker room or at practices for those teams, but I could also uh, go on game days to the opposing team locker room and talk. So I got these big issue stories. Like I remember during the preseason I wrote this piece about 
you know, should they abolish the kickoffs? There was all this talk about in the preseason how many players in the league got hurt on kickoffs. It was ridiculous a number of unnecessary injuries. Like, should they even have kickoff and kickoff return in preseason games? Or maybe they should only do it in, you know, uh, some limited capacity. And we've seen the XFL experiment with kickoffs that don't involve people running 40 yards at each other. And and so every, the kickoffs are problematic for injuries. Uh, so I would do stories like that. But one of the stories they had me work on was about the draft. And and it was because at the time in 2001, I think you can look it up, right around the 2001 season, the top two passers in the NFL, AFC was Rich Gannon, uh, and NFC was Jeff Garcia. And so it was kind of interesting to look at Garcia, who was undrafted, had to go to the CFL, um, you know, nobody wanted him, grew up in the shadow of the San Francisco 49ers footprint, went to San Jose State, uh, you know, beat Stanford while he was there, could not get the attention of the NFL scouts, had to go to the CFL to the Calgary Stampeders, and then on to um, the NFL later as a undrafted free agent. He was the NFL's leading passer at the time in the NFC, undrafted. The AFC's leading passer, Gannon, was with the Raiders, and obviously he had the luxury of having uh, John Gruden and, and Bill Callahan as his head coaches. Um, Gannon was a fourth-round draft pick out of Delaware who spent most of his early career with the Vikings, uh, Washington, and Kansas City holding a clipboard. It wasn't until he got to the Raiders, he became the MVP of the NFL in 2002. Four Pro Bowls, all with the Raiders. And so I, I was dispatched to do this story on the draft and look at, like, how are these two guys the leading passers in the NFC and the AFC? And there was no better resource at the time than Bill Walsh. He was with the 49ers. He was working as a consultant. The Niners had kind of disrespected him and stuck him in some back office. Steve Mariucci was the head coach. He was threatened by Walsh. He was insecure. And so Walsh was basically sh sharpening pencils in his office. So I went to see him. And I spent like two or three days just talking to him. And he was of the mindset, and if you look at how like the 49ers built their teams, including Joe Montana, he was of the mindset that you don't take that risk at the top of the draft. It does not make sense. And I still think the logic holds up. Unless there is a no-brainer that is there for you that you go, oh, I have to have this player. He is the guy. He is the, the person. There's no one like this player. Uh, you move back. You move back, you accumulate more picks, and you do not take a quarterback at one, two, three, four, five unless it's a no-brainer pick. Now I know these GMs and these coaches all think they, you know, they know better than others, but I lean into Bill Walsh a little bit, and he was of the mindset. He goes, "Look at these two QBs." He goes, "These guys, undrafted and a fourth-round pick, are the two best passers in the league." He's like, "Wake up! Like, what are you looking at?" But the the truth was, GMs who were drafting at the top of the draft are either young, hungry GMs who are trying to uh, make a splashy draft pick, they want to show everybody that they're smarter than everybody else, or they're perennial losers who happen to be drafting in that position because they went 2-14 and 14 the year before. So it was really interesting to kind of look at that logic and talk with him, but he was just of the mindset that, like, that, you know, the best way to ruin a quarterback at that time was to pick somebody high that you kind of only believe in a little bit. And Anthony Richardson fits that mold to me. He's got some upside, and I really like Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young is the guy I would think about, but C.J. Stroud makes me wonder.
But after those two guys, I don't see somebody that I would feel good about picking in the top 10 or 15, but you know damn well what's going to happen. Anthony Richardson's going to go number six overall, number seven overall, maybe even higher. He's not going number one. It's gonna, he'll, Bryce Young will be the first quarterback taken, but he's going to get somebody fired. And maybe some point of his career he's going to be able to play, but it's not going to be right away, as you point out. Coming up, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. What's he been up to? What's spring ball going to look like? And, oh, he's got a quarterback. We'll talk about it. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I got a chance right before Christmas uh, to go on a warm, sunny vacation. We went to Maui. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, fresh off a trip to the islands, I'm told. How are you, man? You got a suntan? No, I tried to stay out of out of the sun as much as possible to not get burnt because I don't really tan. I go from red back to white, you know. <laughs> what do you what do you like what's that like for you? Do you have an easy time decompressing or does it take you a few days to kinda realize you're on vacation? Yeah, I've gotten better at it. It's not, uh, especially early on, it was it wasn't easy the first few years. Just you know, working through it. But now, been doing this for a little bit. Know that it's important, especially the family time and not being distracted. Uh, so I've gotten better at it. Not completely removed all the time, but plenty of time with the family spent was just with them. Not not worried about too many things. Did you do a luau? No. I, we did, and we talked about it. Uh, I'd like to do it, especially with my kids. I think they'd like it, uh, yeah. but we didn't make it this time. <laughs> Look, I, I, we haven't talked, I think, maybe once after the end of the season, but it, it was fantastic, and it was fun to watch you guys and watch you get results after several years of seeing you build and build and build. Uh, I know you don't like, you don't want to look back too much because you got a spring that's starting in a week and another season to come, but... Looking back on last season and 10 wins, how gratifying was that for you? Yeah, there's a lot of good there, uh, a lot of work. Uh, I appreciate kind of the, the people involved. That locker room was awesome. Uh, the chemistry and togetherness of that group was something special, and I think it played out on the field a lot of times in games. I thought the staff you know, did a phenomenal job working with these guys, and so it was. It was gratifying to be a part of it um, in a lot of ways. You're always that coach, and you're feeling like we still left some things on the table, but yeah. um, that's why you get another year and anxious about starting spring ball and starting a new chapter. When you say left things on the table, my mind went to Washington. I think you could have won that game. Where did your Where does your mind go? Yeah, we had a couple of tight losses that, you know, you could have done some things better. At the same time, we had some tight wins, you know, that, you know, changes season. So there's always some give and take there, but uh, and especially now we've been analyzing all the tape from last year, watching all these cut-ups, and we could have done this a little bit better than that. Uh, your mindset's always looking to improve. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach with us. Um, you get a quarterback in the transfer portal in DJ Uingolele. I think I did okay with that. But um, what what does he bring to the program? Well, he's been great. Been here uh, almost two months. Um, I think he went to work and fit in well. Uh, the guy's... Uh, it seems like he really enjoyed himself. Um, I appreciate it. He's trying to be, you know, out of the limelight, you know, just going to work and, and understanding that he's got work to do. So I'm, I'm definitely anxious to get him out spring practice and, and work with our guys. And I do think we upgraded the, the talent slash the competition in the QB room, not just with DJ, but Aiden Childs arriving here as well, freshman that we think has got a huge upside and been returning. 
so we got three guys there that we're we're anxious and excited about. Yeah, when you uh, when you look at that room, maybe compared to when you walk in, no disrespect to the guys that were there when you walked through the door, but it feels like you have depth and talent there that maybe this program hasn't seen in a while. Well, as a complete room, I'd agree. I mean, we do got we got some talent uh, in there, and now it's our job to be able to tap that tap that talent so they're playing to their full potential and comfortable and playing at their best. Uh, but oh, hope you know each year that's what you're hoping as a program. Each position room. Uh, gets better each year, and I think we do, we've done that at quarterback. What did you see with DJ when you looked at film? Because you know you're a quarterback guy. Do you see a guy that has had some bad habits, or is one or two tweaks away from maybe being uh, you know a, a better player? What do you what do you see when you look at him? Well, you watch the tape, and he's got you know a good arm strength. Uh, I I like the tape. He's played a lot. I mean, this guy's started a bunch of games, been played in big stages. Um, can make all the throws. You can tell on tape he's competitive. You know he carried the ball a decent amount and ran physical and, and tough. Um, there's all kinds of scenarios of why guys you know need a change of scenery um, and the way maybe things were going in some regards. I don't know all the ins and outs of that. I just know that meeting him, learning his story, talking to people at Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, and then. And now being around him for two months, um, I think he's a great kid that loves the game, that's ready to work and has been working, has talent, and that's the type of guy I want to coach. What was it like to recruit with the 10-win season under your belt? Yeah, yeah, it's, it definitely helps, man. People take attention <laughs> of it. And, and we're trying to you know, accelerate this recruiting process so early, these next few months, and recruiting visits kicking back starting in April and, 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 and you know, added to what I think we – we were able to sell of the place, the people, and progression and the development of players, and now winning a bunch of games. Yeah, because before, right, let's go back like four years, what are you selling? You're selling playing time, right? Hey, come here right away. You know, there's opportunity for you right away. Now you're saying be part of something that we've built and it's got some momentum. Yeah, we just got some proof in the pudding now, and people can look at it. And again, winning is huge. There's no question in this, but the, we can point to some other things: at graduation rates and development, and the you know draft picks in the National Football League, and style of play that's been consistent, continuity of a coaching staff that's a little bit unique nowadays in college football. And so, we got a, a lot of good things to sell. All right, spring ball. Um, you, you know, how do you approach? your spring with this team and you know is it same old same old for you or are you doing some things that are different that you've picked up you know it's a little bit a lot of same old same old because again spring ball is an awesome time to dive into your own team individual players and look for adding depth building skill you know improvement from the senior to the freshman when i say there's a little bit different you know these last couple of years with guys having an extra year we've got plenty that are still that have been around here older players mature i mean some of these guys got 30 starts under their belt um and so just being cognizant of the wear and tear on them and and forcing the issue with guys that are younger maybe your your second string you want a bunch of those guys improving to be pushing the envelope to be starters um, which maybe year one or two is a, a little bit different mentality Somebody asked me something, and I think I know the answer to this, but I, I, I want to pose it to you because you probably do know the answer. That they, you know, they look around the Pac-12, they look around college football, and they see assistant coaches jumping here, jumping there. You have been able to keep your staff largely intact. How and why has that been possible for you? Yeah, I, I mean, one, I think they, the staff we have has a belief in what's what's taking place in here. Uh, the approach we have, the day-to-day, I think the culture we've got, the type of player we're looking for to recruit, 
uh, how we're coaching, and then how the type of you know father husband they can be in the town like Corvallis and the uniqueness of that. I think the the guys value that. Uh, again, we've had staff have plenty of opportunity. These guys are a lot of them ready to coordinate, ready to be head coaches, and now they're just picking and choosing when they're when they're wanting to do that. We've lost a guy or two. Um, a year on on average, but yeah. the majority of them, I think they like what they're doing, and uh, I definitely appreciate them being a part of it. How does that help you when you when you're not having to fill and spend your time going out interviewing, searching, talking, you know, looking at four, three, or four new coaches? Yeah, I think it helps. Just uh, well, one, they know the player better. They've recruited them. They've been around them. They know what their strengths are, what they need to work to improve on. They've built stronger relationships just because they've had the time to do it. Uh, so you can dive a little bit deeper into each individual player. I think the familiar of the, the scheme on each side of the ball, that there's value in that going to years two, three, four. Um, they speak the langu- same language as, as staff on each side. And so that's, that's huge for, well, definitely for me that puts me at ease that we got some big-time people running things. Yeah, pac 12s negotiating this TV deal, and, you know, I keep telling people that, you know, we had your university president on the show yesterday, and she said, look, uh, we, we share common goals. She seems uh, confident that the conference is going to be fine, that you're going to get a deal done. You have no control over this stuff, but you're probably asked about it on a daily basis. Like, how do you field those questions, and how do you handle that noise? Yeah, it's a little bit like you're saying, don't have much control of it. Um, obviously very interested, you know, care deeply on this conference and university, but just not in those circles. Would have loved to be in some of those meetings uh, that the CEO group's about, yeah. but ultimately you try to control what you can control, and that's what we got right in front of us, a spring ball focused on that. I do have confidence this league has a long, rich history and tradition, um, and that's some real value there, um, and there's good coaches, good programs, confident that at the end of the day we'll, we'll work out something that'll work well. Yeah, and it looks like with the expanded playoff that there's some incentive there that you basically you win the conference, you go to the playoff. I think that's great for college football. The, the Pacific time zone not being part of the playoff has been a problem. Uh, it bothers me. Does it bother you as a kid who grew up on the West Coast? No, I definitely love those kicks at 1230, and you want to get on national stages and yep. uh, those kind of things. Uh, at the same time, there's opportunity, evening games, as much as you know, they, they throw some wrinkles, I'll, I'll describe it as, into – you know, fan experience and your own schedule and the players and, and things. Well, if you're the only one playing, then you're the only yeah. one people are watching. So there, there can be some benefit. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the uh, last thing here. You're losing some guys that played a whole bunch of games too. You have guys coming back, but a kid like Jaden Grant, who's you got like seven degrees, and he's you know he made big plays for you. How do you um, how do you replace the loss of some of those guys that were there with you the whole time? Yeah, it's uh, well. The number one, it's always college football. You're always replacing every year. I mean, you're gonna have to. You're losing some pieces, but you're right on. I mean, we've got some experience that we're losing, especially in that secondary. Jaden being a huge part of that, and sometimes I think about just your team and the culture. You don't only lose, you know, the expertise on the, the field on Saturdays. You lose so much of the work ethic, leadership. Um, that those guys represented with Jaden, you know, and Rajon and Alex Austin at corner, both of them. We're, you know, all three of them, huge to our secondary. I think about Jack Coletto and everything he did for the plays. So, yeah, you're going to lose pieces, and schematically you got to adjust, right, and you got to put other guys, and that's why we want to develop, and younger guys need to step up. But at the same time, we want to be able to replace 
the leadership uh, of, the, uh, of the team, and that's what college football is. You know, sophomores become juniors, juniors become seniors. You got younger guys that go through the program, know what it looks like, and they become leaders of the team. All right, you're looking out your state, your your office window at your stadium. Uh, you've watched this construction thing. Uh, what do you see when you look out that window now? Yeah, it's it's coming. I mean. Shoot, I think they're ready to put some seats in on the lower end, actual seats in there. I'm going to sit down when I get a chance. But this thing is uh, is going. You can totally tell where, you know, the, the sight lines and proximity to the field and the top part, and that thing is going to be rocking. Uh, crowd noise, home field advantage. Can't wait for it. Are you staying on the uh, same side of the field, or are you flipping sides? Yeah, same. Uh, Currently, the plan is to stay on the same. I like the side we're on because we got the yeah. student section right behind us. Now, some people yeah. would say it'd be better for it to be flipped, have the students right next to the, the opponent for distraction and all that. We feed off the energy of our students, man, and they yeah. got our back from, you know, pregame warm-up, um, so I love it. All right, so spring ball is coming up. Uh, it I, it gets my juices going, man, because I, I feel like it, this is like the calm before the storm, right? And spring practice comes, and I like getting out to your games. Um, will you uh, – do you want to put a call out? What do you tell What do you tell Beaver fans that may want to check out the spring game? Yeah, well, that will be a minute, you know, at the end of April. Hopefully we can get some practicing done so we look decent. Uh, it's, spring ball is great. Yeah, the fan experience, we want to have our fans interested – um, and following the program, uh, but I do feel like Spring's diving into your team, and and again all the way down to the first ten minutes of practice where it's individual, you get them in stances, and just I, I can promise our fan base, Beaver Nation, that we're going to go to work and and get these guys a whole lot better through these fifteen practices. All right, uh, Coach, I appreciate you and your time, and uh, look forward to talking down the road. And congrats on a vacation, man. Uh, we need those vacations, right? Because you you get. You get caught up in the work, and there's a lot of family stuff you probably miss, so I'm glad you got away. Well, I appreciate it. Yep, it was in February is a great time to do it with the recruiting being a little lighter and all that, and so now we kick start and go March and April and May and into June. Yeah, meanwhile, we were all snowed in over here, so I hope you were having a good time on that beach. <laughs> I came back, and there's snow all over the ground, ice and freezing outside. <laughs> Just, uh, you yeah. can hold your spring practice. Did you do like you're over there in Hawaii. Oh, by the way, here, here's another one. So my brother is coaching at one of the high schools in California that you've invited the coaching staff to come hang out at practice in the spring. What? Why do you do that? Is that you know just kind of camaraderie, get to know people? It's you know people yeah. did it for younger coaches. That, that I think that's pretty cool. I, I do. I feel like you know giving back to the game. I remember when I would be wanting to go and visit people and learn more and more about it. Um, there's some value in, you know, getting relationship with high school coaches, especially in programs in all of the country, but California, Southern California. So there's some value for us on that end. So, and you never know, you might pick up a tidbit from a high school coach and something they're doing or scheme, that kind of thing that, you know, we can add some value to. I love that. All right. I uh, appreciate you. Thanks for making time for us and I will see you down the road. No problem. Thanks, John. All right. You bet. Jonathan Smith, fresh off the beach, uh, in Hawaii. Uh, spring practice for Oregon State will start a week from today on the 7th of March. Their spring game, I believe, what did he say it was, April 21st, something like that? Uh, right around there, we'll uh, get you an update on that. But never too soon to start talking about college football and certainly that quarterback room. Look, there are some Ben Goldbrinson fans out there that are going to say, hey, what's wrong with Goldbrinson? He helped him win 10 games. He was uh, extremely effective in the role that he had. Um, 
I think Oregon State's room and that quarterback room that they have now with uh, DJ Uingalele plus uh, a really talented incoming freshman, uh, I think that room's going to be pretty interesting in that quarterback play at Oregon State, which I think it's been like, look, we've talked about the progression that Oregon State has made over the years. They went from getting blown out, you know, going 2-10, and ten, go, to being more competitive in games but not getting wins, to starting to win some games, to actually winning some games and qualifying for a bowl game, the L.A. Bowl, to 10-win season with only one question. Can Jonathan Smith find a QB? He went out in the portal in DJ Uyengalele from Clemson, who uh, you know was a highly coveted quarterback out of high school, is out there and obviously saw what everybody else could see. Kind of like, you know, I don't want to compare it to Tom Brady to the Buccaneers, but it made sense when Tom Brady went to Bruce Arians and the Buccaneers. Like, he was the missing piece. DJ feels like the missing piece at Oregon State. Later in the program, we'll talk to an Oregon State incoming recruit who just won a state championship in wrestling. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Enjoyed that interview with Jonathan Smith. Uh, nice to catch up with him in front of spring ball. We'll do the same with Dan Lanning at Oregon and maybe some others around the conference as uh, we try to cover a bunch of the uh, pieces of the conference. Bob Thompson, the retired president of Fox Sports Networks, joined myself and John Wilner on the Conzano and Wilner podcast uh, in an episode that was just put out today in which uh, we talked for about 40 minutes about media rights, expansion, why the deal, the Pac-12 deal seems to be moving so slowly, what's important to a media partner when it comes to expansion. For people who don't know, Bob Thompson uh, negotiated these deals on behalf of Fox for years and years and years and is now retired and consulting. And Thompson had some interesting comments, and I think it's worth talking about that a little bit here. Um, if you want the full podcast, you can get it. Uh, just look for the Konzano and Wilner podcast. But here's Bob Thompson talking about why the deal is so slow. I asked him if he's surprised six months later that the Pac-12 doesn't have a deal. Here's Bob Thompson. Am I surprised a little bit? But I don't think it's unheard of. Um, you know, if they if they hadn't come out and announced that they were going to start negotiating early, I think they'd still be in their exclusive negotiating window. Yeah, um, they've got 18 months more or less to go, I think, on their deal, year and a half. And so um, I guess what's surprising is that, you know, it's not done. I think everybody's a little surprised at that. But, you know, deals have a life of their own. Um, some just take longer than others for a variety of reasons. Um, new partners, new distribution models, a variety of factors can slow down the process. Could you explain how, like a hypothetical example, how a new partner slows it down? Like what are you actually talking about with a new partner as opposed to just, you know, changing the, the lifetime of the deal with a in a renewal situation? Like what does it actually mean? They're, you're going to pick a pick a company. Yeah, Pac-12 is going to Amazon, going to Apple, whoever. What about that? takes longer 
Well, a few things. Um, just the fact that it's a new partner um, and somebody in this case, if we're talking about one of those one of those entities, doesn't have um, a ton of experience or a ton of um, related experience in the collegiate world, which is slightly different than what you deal with in the professional world. So <clears throat> the lawyers have very significant um, work to be done in terms of drafting agreements. You have a variety of things related to selection process, um, you know, distribution, prohibitions, distribution, uh, allowances, all those types of things that can get very, very uh, minute, and, but still are very, very important. And for a first-time uh, partner, it's uh, just it just takes longer. If this was a deal or a renewal of a deal between, say, ESPN and Fox, it probably would likely just be an uh, extension or an amendment to an existing deal, as opposed to recreating the the wheel, so to speak. Uh, those can get done, you know, very very fast because the language is all there. All you have to do is change the dollars. And, you know, if there's any selection process changes or any additional product added to the agreement that wasn't in the previous agreement, um, those things have changed pretty quickly. But, you know, introducing a, a new partner, especially one that hasn't had experience with the conference in the past, just creates a whole different level of, of um, minutia that has to be dealt with before before a deal can be announced. Look, uh, the ministers of misinformation in the marketplace are busy selling the idea that the Pac-12 is crumbling, that its imminent demise is upon us, that it's about to break up and splinter in a million pieces. Uh, but Bob Thompson's a guy who's actually negotiated these kinds of deals. And while he is in agreement that something needs to get done here, like this can't wait another two, three, four, six months, um, I think he's trying to help as a public service explain what is going on behind the scenes. You've got Amazon and Apple. They're new players. That's part of it. We'll talk expansion. I'll let you hear what he said about expansion, media, ratings coming up. Plus, we're going to visit with a high school coach who's got a lesson to teach. Stick around for it. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Our next guest, I've written about him. We've talked about him on this show. I'm excited to get a chance to talk with Scott Keller, the basketball coach, the boys' basketball coach at Century High School. Uh, you may know his dad, legendary coach himself. This is a basketball and a sports family in the state of Oregon, and Scott Keller's now got a basketball team in the bracket in the state basketball playoffs. They will be playing West Lynn tomorrow night uh, in, you know, look, it's – you. Coach, you probably look up at the bracket. You're excited to be in it, and then you see West Lynn. You got to do some thinking. Yeah, so a lot of thinking. But uh, like you said, yeah, we're we, we kind of knew that was coming. You know, in our league, uh, usually only the, the top three make it. So we knew, hey, if, you, if we got in, we we, we kind of figured that was going to be the, the be the matchup. So hey, the good thing is we, we did play them uh, their first game of the season. So I, I guess it's a good thing that we did. <laughs> we have seen them once. Yeah. So. The there's some good basketball in the state, and I thought the Les Schwab Invitational was a great chance to kind of showcase West Lynn in particular. You know, they had some big moments in that tournament, but some others. What's the state of the union in your mind when you look across the bracket and the level of talent? 
Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. I think just every year. I mean, basketball in Oregon has gotten, you know, gotten better. And I know West Lynn kind of kind of stepped to a level of their own, you know, after the last Schwab. But I mean, you, Barlow's had an amazing season. You know, Tualatin has played West Lynn tough. Uh, I think Lincoln is kind of a team that that you know they rank fourth. Have, don't always hear a ton about, but I think they're uh, they're a scary matchup for any of those teams. You, know, you always got South Medford hanging down south with the, their sophomore that's averaging about thirty plus a game. You know, so you know, Gresham's tough, Beaverton Mountainside. Like it's just a yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting state. Just, uh, you know, Westland obviously the favorite, but a number of teams you know that can I think that could that could make a move, and you know, obviously that's just due to the, the the talent level you know in in our state and just the amount of basketball kids kids play these days. Your kids have to be excited not just about playing Westland, but they get a chance to try to stop Jackson Shellstad, uh, who everybody you know talks about a lot. What makes him a good player, or what makes him tough uh, as an opposing coach? Just he can do so many things so well. Uh, his just his his speed uh, is just a different level. He just plays at a different you know a different pace than everybody else. I mean he's he's faster all than you know shoot most guys are running. And I think we we saw that firsthand the first game. You know, and I coached against you know Peyton Pritchard two or three different times, and you know they, they kind of have a different style. But you know, Jackson's just kind of one of those rare kids. He can he can come full speed and, and stop on a dime. You know, anywhere from shoot 15 to 26, 27 feet, and and, and the shot looks the same. So he's just a nightmare in transition because uh, he can get to the basket. He can shoot it from deep. You know, he can go either hand, uh, and then just you know defensively, he's just. Just he's so quick. He anticipates so well. He's just he's kind of head and shoulders the best guy on the floor pretty much every game. You know, every game he plays. And he just, you don't always see that at the at the high school level. You and I years ago shared a plane ride after a big football game. Uh, was that Texas and USC? Was that a national championship game? Yes, it was. Yeah. So many years ago, man. And I and I I knew like I had remembered, but I had forgotten. And you know, when we emailed a little bit about this, like you know, it's just so interesting to me to to get to know people over the years and the the amount of kids that your father impacted as a coach and an educator and now now yourself like this is a family thing yeah there's no no question i mean growing up with a dad who was a you know in my mind like you said a legendary coach and just the impact he had on on so many you know, students and athletes like it kind of made it a pretty Kind of a pretty easy, a difficult path, but an easy path, you know, to, to try to follow in his footsteps. And, you know, to be, be in the same town, uh, you know, is, is, is just great. You know, he's got the track named after him, Eldon Keller Track, you know, downtown at Harefield. And uh, it's just, you know, my, my son wants to stay in the Hillsborough area so he can keep the Keller name going. So it's just, there's a proud legacy. But, yeah, our, our, my, my life pretty much revolved around sports, you know, as a shoot, as I've told you, pretty much from birth. With the dad who's a coach, but my brother played for the Kansas City Chiefs for a couple of years, yep. played at Stanford. So just like, yeah, it's kind of in the, it, it's in the genes. So uh, just try to uh, try to make him proud and make the Keller name proud. You probably don't think like 25 years is that big a deal, but as you know, I wrote about you here a couple of weeks ago, and people were like, "Hey, man, coaches don't stay for 25 years anymore. The parents today they drive." coaches off and kids are playing club sports and more difficult you've seen changes uh, how, how much has the job of a high school basketball coach changed in the last 10 or 15 years 
Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I feel, getting gotten more difficult. You know, I think to a degree, kids are still the same. Hey, they, they, they want to compete. You know, they want to know what where the line is, you know, discipline-wise. You know, they want to be school. But there's just so many more outside influences. You know, this is probably the most number of kids we've had that, that play, you know, on club teams in the fall and spring. And you just hear, they hear so many voices. They play so many games, like trying to make, you know, each high school game feel, you know, kind of feel sacred. Uh, it gets harder and harder each year. And we try to tell them, hey, if you, if you want to play basketball in college, like high school is the that's the best simulation. Like we're, we're scouting. We're spending two to three days preparing for a game. Like it's not, you know, going to Vegas for a weekend and playing six games in two days and not caring whether you win or lose. Like that that's you, – you, you make it seem, but that's not – truly how you're going to prepare you know if you get to the next level but uh there's definitely been a change it's just you know, I feel like the, the, the emphasis on high school basketball has definitely kind of deteriorated you know, except these two weeks you know then you feel like it starts to feel old school again you know when the playoffs start scott keller is our guest century high school basketball coach they are the number 32 seed on the bracket they'll play against number one westland tomorrow 6 30 um, Scott, you know, last May, I want to go back to last May, and I, our listeners know that I've talked about this, I've written about it. Doctors found cancer on one of your kidneys. Um, you had a surgery. The cancer came back. Uh, renal cell uh, carcinoma is the diagnosis. How are you feeling? You have been battling this and sharing this publicly. Um, you know, first of all, it's been inspiring uh, to, to watch you be there for your team amid, you know, so much... It's chemotherapy, a clinical trial, emergency room visits, but how are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, actually, I'm doing pretty well right now. I mean, I went in early January, started the first round of you know, immunotherapy, and the, the kind of the tough part was it really it wasn't supposed to have as many side effects as, as it did. Kind of the information I was given is, hey, you, you should be able to handle this pretty well. You'll deal with you know, a little fatigue, and there may be a couple things that, that you have to deal with, but it just you know, it just hit me way harder. Uh, so they, they took me off a couple of the things. Uh, the oral stuff that I was taking and just kind of letting, kind of letting things ride its course for a few weeks, trying to get you know quote back to normal. Uh, so I'm probably in the best spot I've been in in, in a while right now. And then I will uh, once the season gets done. Uh, and actually, I'll go back in next week and meet with the the oncologist and the trial team, and we'll 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 start prepping for round two. So hopefully, they'll we'll make some adjustments there that uh, it doesn't. It doesn't attack quite as hard as, as the first time, but you know, right right now I'm probably been about as good a place as I've been, you know, in a, in a while. Yeah, I had a little Bell's palsy that was there for about three or four weeks, where your face kind of goes numb. Uh, but at least there wasn't pain associated with that. But just uh, trying to you know, focus on a little bit of everything right now, and then shoot back at it next week, and and uh, hopefully get on the road to recovery. Earlier this season, uh, you, your team's going to play Forest Grove. You. You had been hospitalized. You'd been through some treatments, and you asked your wife, Katrina, to take you to the gym. You slip in the back door. Um, I saw the video. You're sitting on a folding chair. Your guys are coming into the locker room right before the game, and you know, you're know you fist-bumping everybody, and you give them a speech. Um, why was that important for you to be there for your team and talk with them? I just... I don't know. It's like you're in, when you're in, you know you're in charge of a program. It's like it's it's what you do. Like they kind of count on you, and you know they're still 16, 17 year olds. Like they're they're obviously compassionate about what you're going through, but you're you're still you know, you're still their leader. You know, and I felt like physically I was in a spot that hey I could go in and at least let them know that hey I've just missed the the last couple of games, but I'm I'm still here for you, and you know, just just to get a chance to see them, you know, visually and try to send a message. And it was a at that point 
the year, early in the season, it was an important game. We thought, like, hey, if we could get that game, we knew that was a team we'd, we'd probably be fighting with for a, you know, for a playoff spot. So it just, uh, I felt good enough to do it. And, uh, and with my wife's blessing, uh, she, she took me, and then the rule was they were coming right back. <laughs> we'll, watch, we'll watch the game on TV. But, uh, so, but it was just, it felt like the right thing to do and something I, was, I could physically handle you know, on that particular day. And you know, I think it was just good for me to see the players uh, as a lift and then hopefully like, gave them a little boost as well. I think it gave everybody a boost. I mean, I, I looked at the video and, you know, you start talking about don't worry about the small stuff. Don't think about the playing time. Don't think about the officiating. Focus on how lucky and how fortunate you are to suit up and play a game you love. And can you play for each other? And, I, I mean, it just, I had glassy eyes. Yeah, I mean, and I think the tough thing, that's, that's a message we try to send, you know, like uh, I think you mentioned on your show before, like we try to send that message anyway, like it is, like, you know, this window in high school is so short, you know, and these number of basketball games are so short, your time with your teammates is going to fly. So I, I like to think this is a message we, we we try to send every day about playing for each other and, and you know, focus on, you know, control your controllables, you know, but, but obviously it had a, uh, <laughs> it had a much bigger impact you know, with everything that was was taking place at the you know at the time, but uh, hopefully our hopefully our kids have got into that already, and and if nothing else, and, and hopefully that kind of hammered it, like hammered that day, and and they've been like they've been great to work with, and it's been a, a lot of adversity, you know, for them as well. Different coaches popping in and me in and out, and you know, then then they, like you said, the attention that's kind of come with it, and we've had players getting interviewed, and but they've just done a great job of hey, keeping their eyes on the prize, and then the prize is say playing playing tomorrow night. It's it's a real community there in Hillsboro, and I think the state of Oregon. Look, I've worked and lived different places. There's something about this state. I think we we feel more connected to each other, and when we see somebody struggling, we we all want to help. Um, your son Joseph uh, organized a GoFundMe, um, and I keep checking in on it. And I know that these treatments is you know are not all covered by insurance, and that. This is, uh, you know, has a financial impact as well. What does it mean to you to see the community reaching back out and putting their arms around you? Yeah, it was pr- pretty amazing. I mean, I think you know, I'm, a, I'm a Hillsborough guy, you know, growing up here and then, and, and, you know, coming back. But just to see you know, all, all the support, you know, it was unreal. You know, and starting just, just family-wise, I mean, my, my wife Katrina has had, she's had health issues for, for 25 years. And, and probably, you know, my stuff pales in comparison to what, what she's gone through. So just to see my family, you know, put kind of everything aside, you know, to, to, to be there for me. Uh, with their own stuff, and then just to see it kind of trickle to, you know, the rest of family and friends, and then you know, ex players and and staff at Century, and then parents and, and people that don't even you know know me, and then just yeah, just it's it's been overwhelming. I mean, I've got my eighth grade basketball coach, you know, sending me, you know, sending me cards from you know, Grants Pass, Oregon, every week, and you know, third grade class in Klamath Falls, you know, adopted me because their their teacher was an athletic trainer at Western Oregon, you know, back when I was playing, just. You know, so it's like you, you you hate to see this be the you know be kind of the reason to to see the support because I feel like I've always had the support you know for the most part anyway because uh, I think we do things the right way but uh, it's been very humbling very emotional uh, just pretty pretty crazy to to see people and even like you said on the GoFundMe uh, there's names I don't even like I don't recognize and then there'll be a name from you know, Taft High School who I coached in 1992 like you just you know it makes you realize man I guess I did. Yeah, I have been having an impact on a lot of kids for 32 years now, and but but the community's been amazing. Like I just 
I can't even put into words like just how how special it feels to, to for all the support that's that's been given. You have poured into that community as well, and I think you know part of it is people recognize the work that you've done. Portland Gear for our listeners, they're also selling a special Keller's Crew T-shirt on their website, and the profit from those sales will be donated to the GoFundMe. Um, look, uh, your team's playing this game. It's a little bit like uh, you know Norman Dale and Hoosiers. You're going to walk into that gym. You, you think about measuring the uh, baskets, or what are you going to talk to your team about before this game? Yeah, yeah we've, we've kind of been talking about that you know, a, a little bit. Like, hey, but they, you know, they're still 17, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. You know, our kids know who their kids are. You know, actually, their coach, Robert Key, uh, is one of my closest friends. We were, we were backcourt running mates in college at, at Western Oregon back in, the, back in the 80s. Uh, so I know Robert well, and but yeah, we just we've really tried to just like do the best we can, kind of breaking down the mystique, you know, of of West Lynn. That uh, that yeah, we know they're having an amazing year, but they're they're not putting eight guys on the floor. You know, they're not all eight feet tall. Like they're they're high school guys who are you know, some phenomenal basketball players, phenomenal athletes, but they it's not a it's not a best four out of seven. You know, it's like hey, what what can you do in, in 32 minutes to to try to hang on? You know, as long as you can, and kind of our goal is trying to treat it almost like a college game, where they okay, were we're playing four minutes at a time and trying to you know, trying to survive as close as we can the first four minutes, and and then they then play the next four minutes and, and try not to try not to make the game seem you know, quite as long as it is. But yeah, we we, we may. We may pull the measuring tape out and check the free throw line and <laughs> check the rim. Yeah. Uh, walk into Westland. I got. I've had a, I've had a lot of long. I feel like I just like the fourth or fifth time we played playoff games at Westland, and, and as you probably know, we that hasn't been a lot of smiles on the bus <laughs> on the way home. So, well, so we we know our way over there. <laughs> it remind, we were talking about this last week. We were talking about the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. You know, they lost. They gave up 11 goals to the Soviets in the run up to the to the Olympics and then they, yeah. you know, they win it and they go on. It's not about, you know, at this point, it's not about being the best team in the state all year long. It's about being the best team on a single night in that gym. Yes, absolutely. And that's kind of been the message and told kids that you, you, you upsetting West Lynn is not going to be the greatest upset in the history of, you know, sports like like there's been you can find an upset every night you know in the nba you know in hockey uh obviously it's a tall challenge but uh but yeah we've kind of tried to approach you know approach it that way that it's like hey we're we're, we're probably the uh of the teams that are going to play like you know let, let's face it they beat us by 40 the first time and there, there's probably not a lot of concern you know about us coming in but you know to our credit i feel like we're playing better it's kind of the beauty of of the top three in each league making the playoffs because based off the rankings we, we would not have got in but we've you know we went seven and five in the league and we've, we've won we went eight and six in the you know in january should we played our you know, sure was the undefeated team in our league went 12 and 0 and we, we had them tied with a minute to go at their place on saturday so we feel like hey we're we're better we're maybe better than our ranking but we'll see if that yeah we'll see how much <laughs> I always say that. I always say that that the last team that is in the lowest seed in the bracket is the only team that gets a buy into the championship game. So it, you know, you got to just look at the opportunity that you have to get in there. Um, Scott Keller, uh, such an inspirational story. If you want to see more or read more about him, I've got a column about him at johnconzano.com. I'll also tweet out the link to the GoFundMe here uh, at the end of this interview. But coach, um, you know, I just want to thank you on behalf of all the citizens in the state so many people that you have coached and taught and lifted over you know 25 years there 32 years coaching overall 
that you've had such an impact on this state. I, I, I feel like it's, you know, a victory in itself. And so thank you for what you've done for kids. I, I know you made about 12 cents an hour probably if you add up all the hours you coached. But uh, but uh, I get the sense that you love it and you get something out of it. Yes, no, absolutely. It's been my pleasure, and, and I appreciate you know people like you that, uh, that 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 have an admiration for you know those coaches and and just people in general, like the the, the columns you write and the, the people you interview. Like you 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 touch so many so many lives you know in our state, and uh, I'm, I'm happy that. I could be part of something, and I'm, that's kind of a hope. If I can inspire inspire people on the way during this journey, then that's uh, you know, then that's a that's a bonus. But but again, it's my my pleasure uh, being on today, Coach. Good luck to you tomorrow night, and uh, I will talk to you down the road. Thank you. Oh, all right, thank you. I meant what I said to Scott Keller. So many teachers like him who pour in them, you know, their effort, their time, their love, their energy, their passion. And give so much to a community. Um, look, it's not ideal that he's, you know, battling cancer. It's not. And he's still there for his team. He's there for his kids. And they made the bracket. And they're in this thing. And they're going to get to mix it up with, you know, the team that everybody believes is the best team in the state. Tomorrow night, 630 West Lynn High School. Uh, really good stuff. Such admiration for educators. If you're a teacher out there, I just want to say one thing. Thank you. I want you to leave it here. You got the bald face truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I have two aunts who were teachers. My Aunt Marlene, she was a teacher, taught elementary school. She eventually became a principal of an elementary school. My uh, Aunt Kathy was a uh, kindergarten, I think, kindergarten, first grade teacher and. Uh, my brother's a special ed teacher. My sister is working in special ed, too, as a paraeducator. Uh, we got some teachers in our household. Uh, that interview that we just did, uh, if you missed it, uh, you know, Scott Keller is dealing with cancer while also um, getting his team into the playoffs. Century High School, as mentioned in the interview, is the number 32 seed. They're the last seed in the bracket. And as a result, they will play number one seed, West Lynn, tomorrow night at 6.30 at West Lynn High School. He's going to measure the court to see it's 10 feet, just like Norman Dale did in Hoosiers. Anna's popped into the studio. Stephen, you, I want you in this conversation, too, because your wife is a teacher. Um, I just, as a kid that went to school, I didn't understand when I was in the classroom the value of teachers. I, how would you know? I now, because we have kids, and I see what teachers do, want to go around and high-five or hug every teacher. I don't know if every teacher wants a hug, but high-five every teacher. Fist bump to you teachers out there. Steven, you got a wife who's a teacher. Anna, you know any teachers? <laughs> yeah. My my best mentors growing up were teachers, like adults who were not my parents who took the time to invest in me, and not just in school, but like would do things outside of school to enhance my life. I mean – 
they're amazing. Like I have so much respect and especially like teachers, but also like teacher coaches yeah. and coaches. Cause they're all teachers in some regard. Steven's wife. She, does she, she do track and field or what is she coaching? Yeah. She's a head track coach at central Catholic and then a math teacher as well. And then my brother, he's a uh, JV basketball coach at Clackamas high school. And then he's a uh, PE teacher as well, junior high. And my mom was a special ed teacher uh, in elementary school. So yeah, I mean, I've been around teachers all the time and, just like hearing the stories that my wife will come home and tell me about some of the kids and just like some of their home lives and like school is de like we have we all have escapes like especially for this show like we watch sports to kind of escape reality sometimes like these kids go to school to escape their reality from home or you know they play sports to do that and you know with my wife being the head track coach and the math teacher like she tells me the stories and you just feel so bad for these kids but these teachers have such an impact on their lives. Like they remember her and they will see her like around town, like whether they're working at a coffee shop or like in a grocery store and they'll see her and they'll say hi to her and like just embrace her. And it's just so cool. Like, you know, you hear these stories and it's, it's really true. Like some of these people, these coaches and teachers, man, they have such an impact on lives. It's, it's amazing. Anna, it was one of those kids. I think, you know, her life was a little nutty with growing up in a motel on Sandy Boulevard. And you were at school from what time in the morning to what time? I would get there early, uh, and then I would be there sometimes until, like, midnight putting the school newspaper together. Like, I was yeah. – talk about an escape. Like, I was there as much as possible because the structure of being at school, the safety that I felt at school was, uh, you know, like my mom and my dad when he was around – they did the best that they could, but given the environment that I was growing up in, like I preferred being and practically living at school. <laughs> Do you, um, did you know it at the time? I don't think I did. I think I just gravitated toward what made me feel good. I gravitated toward productivity and being around positive people and growth, you know. That's why when, uh, you know, you see when you're talking about all the teachers in your life, and I'm talking about all the teachers in my life, um, what happened to you and me? Like, everybody else is helping people, and you and I are sitting here talking about sports and gambling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I, like I, uh, I, I, I coached, like, a little bit, and I just, like, I couldn't deal with it. Like, I just, I just, I didn't have it in me. I just didn't have it. Like, it's just not me, and it's so funny because, like, my mom is, like, the perfect teacher for, like, little, like, she watches my kids all the time. Like, she would go to church and watch the little babies there. Like, she's a perfect teacher. My wife is a great teacher. She wins awards. She was she was recruited to go to Central Catholic to be their coach and teacher. My brother's been teaching a long time. And then it's, you got me. I'm just like, yeah, hey, uh, the Blazers, they're, they're dogs by five tonight. Damian Lillard, 37 and a half points. What, should I go over or under? I don't know. We all have our roles, Stephen. Exactly. We all have our roles. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's um, – look, I, I liked coaching. I liked the coaching part out of out – of, uh, out of college, I went to work as a teacher right out of college, and I thought, well, maybe I'll be a teacher and I'll be a coach, and I liked the coaching part. I did not enjoy the school part. You I, you did some rather unconventional yeah, things as a teacher that would be considered illegal now. Yeah, I did. I, I was channeling the <laughs> teacher that I was talking about in the opening segment who was more interested in kind of educating people than teaching them formally in a classroom. So I would do like a couple of things I did. Um, Often, if it was a nice day, we were meeting outside. <laughs> Let's circle up on the grass outside. Teach other teachers were like, "What are you doing out there?" And we're like, "We're taught. We're reading a book. Getting what some you, vitamin getting D. Getting some sun." Um, and the other thing that I did, and I think again, this would could probably have gotten me fired in today's world or sued. Um, I had one kid. I had this kid named Eric who, who was a tough kid, and you could tell he had a tough home life. But he was a little difficult in the classroom setting, okay? 
I only I only taught for half a year, and I bailed on it. I acted like I was a thirty year teacher. I yeah. did I did one semester, and I coached football, and then I kept coaching baseball. But um, so this kid Eric, uh, the first time I met him, I over I had my back to the classroom. I was drawing on the board or writing something on the board, and I overheard Eric tell another kid, "I'm going to kick your beep beep beep." You know, like he was cussing at the kid, mm-hmm. and he was kind of being a bully. Yeah, I whipped around. I saw him, and Eric was kind of a tough kid. I walked up to him. I said, come outside. And, you know, I pulled him outside, and I said, get out of here. And he said, go to the office. I said, I don't care. Go. (laughs) And he said, what do you mean? I said, get out of here. You can't be in this classroom talking to somebody else like that. I won't have it. Go. And I closed the door. And class ended, and I opened the door, and Eric was still standing there. And he said, I'm sorry, and he apologized. And I pulled him in the classroom after everyone left, and I said, um, you can come back tomorrow. But I said, if you do that again, you're never coming back. And I said, I don't care. Go home. Go. You're not being in this classroom. And Eric became a great kid. He just needed somebody to notice him and care about him in a way that he understood. Like, I do think, like, a lot of teachers wouldn't have been able to do that because they would have been worried. Am I going to get fired if I just told a kid to leave? Yeah. You know, didn't send him to the office, didn't write him up, just said, go. I don't care. But he, uh, I saw him, like, Months after that, and I wasn't teaching anymore, he's walking down the street. He's got a dog. He's walking down the street, and I kind of pulled over and talked to him, and it was like we were old friends. Hmm. He respected that, I think. It it spoke his love language, so to speak. Another kid, this kid named Josh, uh, who's Josh's dad was an attorney, and Josh was kind of a know-it-all. Mm-hmm. Very argumentative. Mm-hmm. And he would constantly kind of correct and argue, and I just got tired of it. Yeah. And I told him to go in the closet, and I locked him <laughs> in the closet for the whole class in the dark. And so wrong. Is there a statute and, of limitations on this one? And, uh, and hopefully, and, hopefully, yeah. Like his There's dad, a, allegedly, being, allegedly. I keep thinking about his dad being an attorney now. And I'm like, that was insane. That was insane. Good on me. Yeah. Good on me. But I didn't care because I knew I was like, this is not going to be my thing. Because <laughs> I'm not going to do this for 35 years and be a teacher. So, But Josh ended the same way. Josh was a football player, and Josh ended up kind of being a kid that I was fond of by the end of the year. <laughs> but I never had to lock him in the closet again. But yeah. he's, he spent a good 35 minutes in that closet. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we forgot about him. Oh, you did? Yeah. We were, yeah. like, doing something, and then all of a sudden, yeah. like, class ended, and then I heard a knock on the door, and I was like, oh, Josh is still in the closet. Oh, my god! It was like a broom closet. Yeah. So he was just kind of sitting in there. Mm-hmm. But it sent a message. It it sure did. I was like, Jaime Escalante and Stand and Deliver. Yeah. I was like Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, mm-hmm. Captain, my captain. Yeah, you were like Michelle Pfeiffer in <laughs> Dangerous Minds. I don't know if I was, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got out the game, so to speak. Okay? Yeah, probably for the best, <laughs> sounds like. You know? Yeah. Sounds like that really wasn't your calling. It, I, you know what I found? <laughs> is, you know how, like, as a student, you'd be in a class and you'd be clock watching? Yeah. You ever have that? It's almost like when you're on a treadmill. Yes. You can't look at the time. Right. Uh, you're clock watching because you're going, I don't want to be here. I can't wait for this to be out. You're kind of doing your time. <laughs> I was a teacher who was clock watching. I had a lesson to teach, and I would look up and go, I got 18 more minutes. Is there a movie I can show? Where's that projector? No no movies. But (laughs) we would talk about something that had no relation to anything we were doing, really. What were you teaching? I was teaching English and Spanish. Okay. Yeah. Like Spanish one. Yeah. And then, then like, mid-semester, 
one of the Spanish three teachers was pregnant and went on maternity leave. Spanish and, three? Yeah. Wow. And they said, do you think you could finish the term <laughs> with Spanish three? And I was like, I could do anything you want me to do. <laughs> and so they threw me into Spanish three for like five, six weeks. Yeah. And what I did, because I'm resourceful, I found a couple of native Spanish-speaking kids that were in course, Spanish 3. Right, because this was Gilroy, yeah, California. Yeah. I pulled the kids aside. I said, listen, I'm in over my head here. <laughs> I can do Spanish 1, maybe Spanish. I only had up to Spanish 2 as a student. Right. Okay? I'm teaching Spanish 3, public school system. So oh, I uh, found this kid, this one uh, girl that was in the class, and I said, listen, I'm going to need you to help me grade. Uh, you're you're better than anybody in here. Yeah, she's native speaking, yeah. right? And I said, you know, you're good with writing, you're good with reading. I need you to kind of be a student teacher here. And she was fantastic. Yeah, put her in that role. Yeah. But I'll tell you one of the most heartbreaking things. Like to Stephen's point, like he talked about his wife having students come up and hug her, and you talk about your experience, Anna, just staying at the school. The school kind of put its arms around you in a way. Um, one day we were in class and we were doing the, it was English class and we were doing this assignment where we had kids kind of write a prompt, a writing prompt, mm -hmm. and they would stick it in a box, kind of anonymous writing prompt. Okay. And I open the box and I start pulling out the prompts and I'm reading them aloud. We're trying to pick what we're going to write about. And one of the prompts was from a kid who expressed that uh, he or she was suicidal mm -hmm. and said I don't know who to talk somebody like I'm I read it and I looked up at the room and I realized that one of the 25 kids in the room oh, was considering suicide yeah think about that I I stopped what I was doing and I said forget the assignment and then I said you know I want to talk to you guys about something someone wrote here and the room just went dead silent with everybody kind of looking going who is it mm -hmm. who it and I said you know this is a time when we could all be a friends to each other. I said, I don't, I said, it doesn't matter who it is. I said, but it, it's probably a feeling or a thought that maybe you or someone, you know, and someone in your life has, let's talk about, and we had a great discussion about it. Hmm. And, um, I suspected I knew who it was because you could, there was kind of some other signs, Yeah. but I referred it to the school counseling office. And then to that point, my very first day on school campus, you know what happened. Yeah. I went, there was, there was a gang incident, and somebody got stabbed to death right in front of me. And I was the first teacher on the scene. So it was between, like, watching somebody get stabbed to death, picking the thing out of the box from a kid who was expressing some suicidal thoughts, and realizing that, like, the teachers that were special in my life all had this gene that I don't have, right? Like the, G, Stephen knows he doesn't have it either. Mm -hmm. And it was that kind of experience in one semester that I went, I am not qualified for this. And it had nothing to do with me not being able to teach Spanish. Right. I just, I think there were other things I could offer the world. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't one of them. Well, shout out to all the educators yes. out there. Because they're Amen. on the front lines, especially right now. It's not a normal period in which to be teaching kids you know kids are off and uh, the last couple of years last three years has a lot to do with that so coaches teachers we salute you you are dealing with so much more than just academics and a lot of parents too but there's some single parents that are dealing with you know kids that have been out of school for a year and a half and are just getting back into it yeah. so
shout out. Let's get it back to sports next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. When the Trailblazers draft a player or trade for a player, they've got, you know, and this makes sense, they've got some in-house connections where they, uh, you know, they'll talk to rookies too, and the rookies do a symposium with the NBA, but they'll talk to players that they trade for, or players that they draft, or even coaches that they bring in, and they'll say, hey, we have a, a here's a realtor for you, and uh, here's what you need to know about the area, and here's where the practice facility is, and it's done kind of as a transition thing for the uh, for the organization but uh, over the years one of the things that became interesting to me was the houses that former trailblazers owned and later rented out to other trailblazers or tried to sell to other trailblazers there's been some notorious cases uh, where the team had players who bought homes and made significant improvements to their homes to the point where um, you know, they, they couldn't sell it because only another NBA player would buy that house that's got a home gym in it and is listed at $3 million or $6 million. Like, I, I remember Scottie Pippen's house that was, uh, you know, was, I think, listed at like $6 million at one point. There was just a very limited pool of buyers in that price range. And uh, I uh, also know that, you know, Brian Grant had a house that was listed and, and sat vacant, and L- LaMarcus Aldridge had a house, and, you know, it goes on and on. And Kevin Pritchard had, the former GM of the Blazers, had uh, a home on Lake Oswego that he had fashioned towards uh, like it was an Italian villa and put a bunch of money into it. And he ended up having to rent that out to, uh, after he left the organization, to a player because he was like, no one else can afford to rent it. And so it's interesting to me to think about NBA players in their homes, and I saw an interview that Carlos Boozer did on the Dan Patrick show. He had a home, Anna, that he ended up renting out to Prince, the musician. Because, like, when you're in L.A., it's not just other NBA players that you would rent your home to or sell your house to. Makes sense. Yeah, you have, you know, a whole list of celebrities. Here's Boozer. Talking about renting his house to Prince. I went to the Utah Jazz, and I wanted to live in L.A. I bought a nice crib. It was in Bel Air. I spent $8 million on it. So it was huge. It was like 18,000 square feet. It was immaculate. It had like 10 bedrooms and huge pool, three living rooms. It was incredible. So I go back to Utah, and I'm getting a phone call from my realtor. And she's like, hey, someone wants to really rent your house out. I was like, I barely lived in a house. I've been there for one month. I don't want to rent my house out. And she goes, well, he's willing to pay, you know, 95 grand a month. Oh, 95 grand a month. So I rented it out for a year. I had to go out there to sign the paper. So on the off day, I flew out there, and he comes out of a car and his prints. I'm like, whoa. So I'm trying to like hold my composure a little bit. And anyway, long story short, you rinse the house out. I hurt my hamstring that year. So I come to LA. I hit Prince up. I'm like, hey, I'm coming to town. I'm going to go stop by the house. If you need anything, let me know. And didn't hear back from him. So I go down the street where I thought my house was at. I pull up to the gate and I had these two lions on the gate and they weren't there anymore. It was like this big symbol. I didn't know what the symbol was. So I'm, I'm looking at the gate and I'm like, I know this is where I thought I left my house. So I put the code in and it works. Gates open up and I'm like, what? 
is going on? Go up the driveway, and there's like this huge purple carpet. It was a purple carpet with this same symbol. So I get up to the house, open the door. My ex-wife furnished a whole 18,000 square foot home. I get in there, and none of my stuff is in there anymore. It's black carpet. It's purple couches. There's pictures of him everywhere. One of the cool things about what he changed, he had like one of the guest rooms into like a hair salon. He did make my weight room into a disco ball nightclub, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. I never had that in the house before. But anyway, long story short, I was pissed. And I was like, what happened to my house? We didn't agree to this. I'm trying to get a hold of him. I'm calling him, I'm calling him, calling him. I'm like, I'm going to sue you. And I, who wants to sue Prince? Really? Like, who? <laughs> my parents probably conceived me to your music. At the end of the day, um, he reached back out to me maybe like six weeks later. And he was on tour in Asia. And he's like, Los, don't worry. When I move out, it'll be like I was never there. And uh, he wired me 500 grand to ease my mind. Let me just tell you how much money Prince had. He rented my house for him basically a little over a million dollars for the year. He moved all of my stuff of an 18,000 square foot fully furnished house in storage, redecorated the entire thing the way he wanted it, wired me 500K to ease my mind, and put my stuff back in like he was never there. Incredible. <laughs> That's the lifestyles, like Robin Leach could do that. The lifestyles of the rich and like Carlos Boozer and Prince. Also, by the way, something struck me about that. I want to know what struck you about it, Stephen, as well, but when when someone is telling you a story and they say long story short, mm -hmm. it ain't going to be short. Yeah, long story long. He did long story short twice yeah. in that. Mm -hmm. But, um, Mike, I have so many questions because if you're renting your house out, why are you calling the tenant to say, I'm going to stop by? <laughs> you don't live there, Carlos Boozer. <laughs> like, violation of boundaries. Uh -huh. Also, uh, why isn't Prince just buying his own damn house? Uh, yeah, lots of questions. And also, how much do you need to change your, about your surroundings to make it feel like your own? Yeah. You know? It's do like you, a, yeah. like, like do you, he clearly needed to put his, like, purple rain stamp on everything. you got to be in the groove, you Like, know? I want to Google images of, you know, what was changed. But it's like, for yourself, when you move somewhere, what do you bring with you? What do you change to make it your own? I I need uh, just me and my laptop. <laughs> yeah. Like Prince is putting out a purple carpet. I know. Disco tech in the uh, gym. Right. right. Uh, changing like the symbol. $500,000 worth of renovations. Yeah. This is what feels like home. Steven, what jumps out to you about that wild story about Prince? <laughs> yeah, what a wild story. I, also, for you, John, all you need is like a closet and like, you know, your laptop. I think it's all you need. <laughs> but um, that's it. A yeah. closet to put someone in? Yeah, exactly. That too. You know, just in case someone gets out of line. No, I, for me, like, it brought up the fact of, like, like would Prince be a fun roommate? Like, let's just say Carlos <laughs> Boozer, like, wanted a roommate. Is Prince a good roommate? Because he takes he, take, he took over the whole house, right? Like, it was his way yeah. on the highway. And so I was trying to think of, like, who a good person in sports would be, like, a good roommate. Because... Ooh, who would you want to – who could you cohabitate with That's a... in the sports world? <laughs> I, I, I know. I've been trying to think of that because it's like I don't want someone super popular or good because I feel like it's going to be the Prince situation. They're going to take over, and I'm going to have no yeah. say involved. But I also want someone that, you know, is going to be cool and to hang out with. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I initially thought of a guy – like, uh, you know, Evan Turner used to be here yeah. in Portland. Like, he's a cool guy. He's got some money. He seems like he's pretty Evan chill. Turner actually rented the Kevin Pritchard house. Yeah. See, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah he rented. Yeah. He, he was the renter. Yes. That yeah, rented I, it. I should have been his roommate. I think it would have been a nice little, ma nice little match made in heaven there. He, here's the one that's strange, and, and Peter may appreciate this, but Hassan Whiteside bought a home in West Lynn, and I don't know what he spent on it, but apparently the renovations on it were worth more than the house. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's so, what I'm talking yeah. about. Classic white side. Yeah.
it, like I want to say the house was like a two million dollar house. Yeah. And he did like two and a half, three million dollars worth of renovations on it, and then couldn't sell it when he left. And I believe I don't know if it is sold still. I know somebody who knows the realtor who was saying, yeah, this is going to be a problem because you're 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 very narrow in who you can sell that house to. C.J. McCollum just sold his house. Oh, it's sold. It sold for three million dollars. Yeah, but. By NBA standards, McCollum's house, when he bought it, yeah. it was like a $1.8 million house. It was modest. Very modest. <laughs> it was st- it was a Street of Dreams home. Yeah. You and I actually toured it. I we know. Bought, we bought tickets and went and see the Street of Dreams. I know. It's and then so I was crazy. like, CJ bought that house. We love going to Street of Dreams because it's just so yeah. fun, right? And, but CJ, CJ's yeah. got a smart wife. I, I believe mm-hmm. she's an attorney. And so she, I'm gathering... She was not going to be like, yes, let's go spend twelve million on a house. Yeah, credit the wife. Yeah, yeah, I believe. I that. buy that. I believe that. I don't think any. I I think the problem. Yeah. Meanwhile, let's... Damian Lillard's building like building a compound. Yes. Out in Tualatin, like I don't know what he's going to do. I think he's going to do music and basketball. All that space, <laughs> but it's like he's building this giant, you know, facility. Yeah. It's like its own. I don't. I don't even know how to describe I have, it. It looks like I've got pictures of it. Because next generation. We were at the place next door, and you can't. I mean, like you don't have to. You don't have to like poke your head through the bushes to see the house. No, no, to no. See the compound. It's it's there. It's there. You can't miss it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a giant modernistic like warehouse yeah. thing, and I'm like, what's he gonna? Is he just gonna run sports camps from here? I think because he could. I think he's gonna work out. He's gonna do music there. I think it has a music studio in it too. Also, what about the 500k that ease your mind? Like, I don't. I'm trying to think of like what, you're stuck on that. Yeah, like. <laughs> What would it take for me to ease my mind of money-wise? Like, someone offer money to, like, Stephen, this is the, this is the easier mind. I mean, it would be, like, I don't know, 100 bucks maybe? Like, I don't know, like 500K? Like, that's just how much money? That's insane. So, like, Stephen, I'm going to rent your house. Uh, don't worry about the furniture. Don't Here, worry about the disco a, ball. Here's 100 bucks. Yeah, and the club-like bucks. atmosphere <laughs> that's now in your living room. Here's 100 bucks and some lunch. Here you go. Here's a pizza. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, right, cool. Come- that's fine. Yeah. Is LeBron faking or not? Uh, Skip Bayless thinks he is. We'll talk about that coming up top of the hour. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Got some punch it audio coming up uh, in hour number three, the happy hour. Plus, Anna's got the five at five. Also, we have a state champion. On the show today, Ben Hartman. He is the uh, state champion in wrestling in the heavyweight division. And guess what? He's heading to Oregon State to play offensive line. He'll be joining us at 5.30 once you hear for it. Um, you know, a lot of talk about LeBron today. Bill Ryder on CBS Sports believes that LeBron could be out for the year. It's not good news. As you noted, it's going to be at least two weeks. There will be a reevaluation, maybe a, a second option on top of the reevaluation in two weeks. And talking to Lakers officials, while in one breath they, they will stress that it's LeBron James, and in one of their words, he's an alien and he can play through pain most players can't, there remains a concern that he could miss sizable time after this two weeks, up to and maybe including the remainder of the season. It's 21 games. They don't know if he'll be out the entirety of that time, but it's certainly a concern here in Los Angeles with that Lakers organization as we wait out this two-week period and see where LeBron James is after that. Look, uh, LeBron, uh, obviously, like a lot of star players in this league, the, the roster's built around LeBron, and but in Los Angeles, that roster's awfully thin 
even with LeBron out there. Jay Williams uh, talking about the injury as well. I didn't see the Lakers really contending anyway with a healthy LeBron James. I saw them making a push realistically for the 6 seed, considering they're about a game and a half out of the 6 seed spot, right? With 20-plus games barely to go in the season. If you always say, well, you know, Jay is the halfway mark. I'm like, actually... All-star game is not the halfway mark. It's the mm-hmm. 75% mark, okay? So you got 25 games left. So now you're telling me LeBron James is going to miss several weeks. That takes you all the way until almost the end of March before he's coming back. It leaves you about a week and a half of the regular season. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I just – I see – and D'Lo's being out too with his injury. I see this being the Lakers' season. And, 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 and everybody's going to shift the focus yeah. to AD, which I get. AD's averaging 28 points per game, 10 rebounds, and 50% shooting when LeBron James is not there. But are we, are we realistically, Harry, going to think that Anthony Davis, with the injuries he's had throughout the course of his career, with how we've seen him not be durable, even though you add some different pieces, that we're going to expect AD, Anthony Davis, and I love him as a talent, to carry the load to all of a sudden get the Lakers to a 7th or 8th seed? This uh, may change the calculus a little bit for the Blazers. We'll talk about it coming up, plus a uh, heated exchange uh, between Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. Anna will have more on that in the 5 at 5. And we'll talk with a state champion, as I mentioned, uh, you know, who has aspirations to play offensive line at Oregon State. Uh, all of that's still ahead in the happy hour. I want you to leave it right here. you got the BFG statewide. Appreciate that you're along for the ride. Here comes the happy hour. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. All this LeBron talk all the time, dominating the news cycle. I don't think it's necessarily too that the news cycle didn't have a bunch of stories there's some stories out there there's lots to talk about nfl news with players getting released getting cut announcing the you know the seahawks say they're going to consider a quarterback at five Bengals aren't 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 trading uh aren't trading uh t higgins uh you got you got uh baseball dealing with spring training and rule changes and college basketball gearing towards the conference tournaments that are coming up uh, later this week in women's college basketball and next week in the case of the men. Anna, by the way, Stephen had a birthday on Friday. Did you know that? You didn't. You need your mic on. Yeah. That's my bad. I wished him happy birthday. Did you wish him a happy birthday? Uh, Stephen, did I text you happy birthday? I think I did. Um, I don't know. Check your text right now. <laughs> this is guys, Anna. This is the difference between men and women right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. Right now on display. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You this did. is a Mars Venus thing. Not just that. It's just I just don't think, like, guys are looking for it that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back, there was no birthday text. Mm. Did I call you? Did I say to I you the you day s- before? Yeah, you said it the day before. You said it the day I, before. I remember. Oh, you got it in early. Okay. Yeah. It was the it was the Thursday show. Yeah. He said, I'm not going to be here tomorrow mm-hmm. at the end of the show. Off air. Mm-hmm. Listeners didn't hear it. And I said, hey, happy birthday. Oh. Because he told me a few days earlier, I'm taking Friday off because mm-hmm. it's my birthday. There you go. And then on Friday's show, we debated, should we call him and wish him a happy birthday? Yeah. But Peter pointed out, 
astutely, he didn't want to be around us. Why do we want to hear from right. us? Right. Yeah. So we left him alone. Yeah. Don't be like the crazy ex, you know. We Colin. did. Yeah. We just left it. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't even check his socials to see what he was doing. And I had a. I had enough faith that you guys were going to have the show be okay without me. I knew it would be trouble. I knew it would be hard. But you know, <laughs> I knew, I it, had faith. It wasn't the same without you here, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to do the five at five. Because women, like, what do women do when it's their birthday? Oh, it's a big deal. They put it's a, a big deal. shirt on. They might it... wear matching outfits. Yeah. There's a whole night it's the planned. Week. It's the birthday week. Yeah, it's birthday week. You know, there's the girls get together. and then They the start talking about it. Family celebration. Tell, yeah, it's make sure everybody knows. Really over the top. Everybody needs to know it's the birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, oh, my birthday's coming up in a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, they Alabama put it on blast. Adri- I'm thinking about Alabama Adriana right now because she <laughs> used to wear. She'd come into to the show. She'd be have a tiara on that said, right. "It's my birthday." Right. Just in case in we didn't case, hear her for several weeks. In talking case about the it. memo had not been passed around the whole building. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. That's the difference between guys and girls, right there. That's one of them. Yes. That's one of the big ones. <laughs> <laughs> Guys are like, don't mention my birthday. Don't wish me a happy birthday. If you if you remember my birthday, I'm going to think it's weird a year later. You know, that's there's nothing weirder than a guy friend telling me, yeah, like, oh, you have a birthday coming up. That's creepy to me. Why, how do you remember that? <laughs> they put like, it in the I, calendar. I'm not even thinking about that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and a woman would be like, oh, you remembered my birthday. Yeah, I don't need it. I don't need that acknowledgement you know so tough i'm gonna try i'm to not rem- a, i'm gonna remember your birthday now and just bring it up so you just, yeah. just, I, I, just i'm not a cat that needs to be petted you know you know how a cat like wow. you go to pet a cat the cat kind of arches its back uh-huh kind of anticipates the pet yeah no yeah i'm a dog person uh-huh you know yeah. i'm living in the now right now not thinking about the birthday that brings us to the five at five which you know we're like five minutes late on yeah the five Five. Anna has her number one top story. What is it? I don't know that it should be number one, but it just is. It's just the LeBron news cycle, which is always giving. Uh, now involves Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp going after it after Skip Bayless was insinuating that LeBron is, uh, is he really telling the truth about his injury? Bayless is saying, you know, he hasn't seen any difference in LeBron since the Lakers star turned 38 in December. He appeared fine during Sunday's game. Shannon Sharp's firing back saying, why is it that when someone says something is wrong with LeBron, you either say it's not that serious or that he's lying, but you never called it into question when Tom Brady said anything. Um, Skip, this is Skip's shtick, right? Mm-hmm. That's not but, easy to say. But everything on this whole show has to be an argument between these two guys. Yeah. In le- it's too close to real life for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's this is <laughs> too I much conflict. It's like the odd couple. Like <laughs> you're watching Felix and Oscar just argue the whole time. Like, there's a little too much conflict for me. And this is like one of the cardinal sins in journalism. You can't accuse a player of faking an injury. You can't do that without legit evidence of that it's just frankly you know skip bayless could open himself up of course to a lawsuit defamation whatnot if he's saying lebron's uh faking the injury but that's not really what i'm getting at you can't do it because it breaks code 
You don't accuse somebody of not having uh, an effort or not having an injury unless you have good reason to believe so. And I don't think this is good enough reason. He looked okay. He said he heard something in his foot pop. You got to believe that when somebody says that. Number two in our five at five. Well, let's talk about that double pitch clock. Uh, You know, some people love it. Some people say it's perfect. Others say it sucks. But there's this video circulating of a Dodgers pitcher getting through a whole half inning in the same time that it took a former pitcher with the Dodgers to throw one pitch in a game a few years ago. I was entertained by that. It's led to some weird uh, moments, like an at-bat in a Diamondbacks-Cubs game that started with a 1-1 count because both the hitter and the batter didn't beat the clock. Um, So I don't know. Let's chat about it. Pitch clock. Good, bad. It's uh, very divisive. All right. It is divisive. I watched a little bit of a baseball game today with the pitch clock because I wanted to see, you know, how it felt to me to watch an inning or two. And uh, I'm not sure if I like it or hate it. I'm conflicted with myself on this one. Okay. I hated it the other day when it cost the Braves in the uh, bottom of the ninth inning, bases loaded, two outs, full count. You know, batter did not, a, you know, wasn't ready to hit, and the umpire called him out. I hated it. I also hated it, you know, Max Scherzer today came out, you know, he struck out, he faced, you know, in two innings he struck out five. And he says it gives the pitcher a huge advantage because the batter can only step out of the box one time in the at-bat as well, by the way. So the batter calls timeout and steps out of the box. The pitcher can sit there and hold the ball for 10 seconds, just making the batter sit and sit and sit. Scherzer says it's a cat and mouse game, and I love it as a pitcher. So I now kind of am conflicted with, is this good good strategy to see this added to the game? And I'm also like hearing from some people who said, baseball games used to take so long, I hated it. Now they're too fast, and I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not, it is fast. Like that pitch clock, it, it moves. And it is, uh, it, it does feel a little bit urgent. And it messes with me as a purist who loved watching baseball and loved the lull of the game. I'm not quite sure I can get used to this. It's going to take me a while. Number three in the five at five. Uh, things are getting interesting with Jeff Bezos and the Washington Commanders. So he might be banned from buying the team. He was recently exploring the idea of buying the team. but Why is he banned? Well, Snyder apparently doesn't want to sell the team. Oh, to Dan him. Snyder, yeah. Because Dan okay. Snyder um, is not happy with how the Washington Post, <laughs> owned by Bezos, has treated the commanders. And so the paper's written a lot of stories that didn't exactly paint the team in a good light. But is he actually banned from buying the team? There's also reports suggesting that Snyder, um, you know, that this is just out there so that Amazon could, has to pay more money for the team, that this is all geared at trying to drive up the price. And, oh, by the way, Snyder might not even sell the team because he's still hoping to get at least $6 billion. $6 billion with a B. He wants $6 billion. Uh, good for him. Uh, you know, it's a free market. But I, I had Merritt Paulson, the owner of the Timbers. I asked him once upon a time many years ago, are you going to buy the Blazers? He had gone up to Seattle to visit with Paul Allen. And I was really interested in how that meeting went. 
And, you know, Merritt Paulson worked in the NBA League office. He told me at the time, you know, he was kicking the tires, but that visit with Paul Allen was more about him creating a relationship because he said, Paul has to want to sell the team to me. Meaning, this, what you're hitting on here with Schneider and Bezos is, you know, if 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 Schneider doesn't like Bezos and doesn't want him to have the team, there are multiple ways in which he can either make it more difficult for him to buy the team or, frankly, forbid him from buying the team. You, you know, I, I found that interesting. I think everyone has a price. <laughs> Prince, and, Prince, and for Dan Snyder. Prince found that out. It's somewhere above $6 billion. How many people can do that? <laughs> Number five, right? I think so. Five in the five at five. Here oh, we go. New York City. It tried. It tried. <laughs> it tried. It tried to honor Hall of Famer Jackie Robinson. Oh, nice. Uh, love, by putting up Jackie a Robinson. sign, a road sign near Queens Forest Park, not far from the road that is named after him. This is Jackie Robinson Parkway. It runs through Brooklyn and Queens. Yeah. It was named for him upon the 50th anniversary of his Major League debut back in 1997. That was the anniversary, not his debut. Uh, somehow, the city managed to put up a sign that has his name misspelled. So the sign read Jackie Robinson Parkway, but it was missing the C in Jackie. In Jackie. <laughs> they have since replaced it. Uh, I'm not sure how long it was actually up before anybody noticed, but like my question is, how does the sign get printed? And then, like, how many people, <laughs> how many hands did that sign pass through before it was actually installed and displayed with his name misspelled? I just, I just don't get it. The, this to me feels more like stupidity than disrespect. You know, the, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's one thing where it's like it's disrespectful. You know, like if, if Jackie Robinson didn't get a parkway. Yeah. That's disrespectful. If he got like a cul-de-sac. You know, that's disrespectful to the guy who broke Major League Baseball's color barrier. But misspelling Jackie? That's just stupid. <laughs> like, who did that? And, and look, we've all done it. Like, when you're working on something that's large, yeah. like a large, you know, Graphic artists and people like, you know, BK, our friend who works on big projects, you know, when you work on something big like that, I'm sure that your attention to detail gets skewed because the letters and the words and everything are so big in front of you. But like, you know, they, they spell cowboys right in the Dallas Cowboys end zone. You know, that's pretty big. You misspell Jackie on Jackie Robinson Parkway. And then it got so far that that somebody ordered the sign, yes, designed the sign, and then hung the sign up. <laughs> and nobody, like, it took passing motorists to go, hey, uh, that doesn't look right, you know? That's befuddling to me. Disrespectful or stupid? I say stupid. <laughs> oh, that's being kind. Number five. I, th I thought that was five. No. Oh, that was That was four. four. I think. All right. Number 5B. This is 5, right? See, five, anyone accounting? 5B. Go ahead. Speaking of stupid. <laughs> <clears throat> How much longer is this Super Bowl celebration going to continue? Because the Chiefs are still celebrating. Like, God bless them. 
But now Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, they're hitting up Vegas. They've still got that trophy with them. They're at the uh, XS nightclub at Win Las Vegas on the stage with the Chainsmokers spewing really expensive champagne on everybody and partying until 3.30 in the morning. This all happened over the weekend. I've been to that club. Yeah, it's a fun one. Tom and uh, and uh, Tom Brady and uh, Kelsey and uh, Patrick Mahomes, they all hang out at the same club. Brady did this too? I don't know if Brady did it. Did Brady well, do it? Brady got Brady's celebration hasn't ended either. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> he, still- you know, he won the Super Bowl a couple of few years ago. And now he's going. He's going to be a. Uh, he's going to do stand-up comedy, according he to is the not according to the latest spoof that's out there. He would be terrible at stand-up comedy. That's the five at five. <laughs> there was a report out today that Tom Brady was going to delay his Fox thing to do stand-up comedy. Total publicity. I stunt. know. I saw that, and I just he, I couldn't I, do LeBron and Brady in the same five at five. The, you know? Yeah, but the whole surprise at the five at five was that Brady didn't make it. <laughs> That was the biggest part. <laughs> Good stuff, Anna. What was your favorite story, Stephen, of the five five or so stories that she did? LeBron, Pitch Clock, Bezos, Jackie Robinson, and the never-ending celebration of Mahomes and Kelsey. I like the Jackie Robinson. I like stupidity when it's put on full display like that. It's, <laughs> it's not disrespectful for sure. Like, Well, it is disrespectful, but I don't think they did it on purpose. It's just stupidity. Like, like you said, how many hands did that go through? And yeah. be checked by so many people. Everyone, everyone checked off like, oh, this is good. This is good. Yeah, let's pass on the next person. Like that, I, I just, it's just so dumb. I'm that, that I'm, I'm gonna vote for that one. Because like, if a tattoo artist misspells a word on somebody's arm or back or whatever, that's one person who made the mistake, yeah. and it's permanent. And okay, now you got to figure out how to fix it. But this thing, there was a chain of command that yeah. was breached. And probably several people who went, huh, I didn't know he spelled his name that way. <laughs> it's, like, know, uh, the way. it's like the commercial back in the day when they misspelled Chiefs in the end zone and it was Chefs. Yes. Like, yeah. No. Yeah. It was a commercial. It was a commercial. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You don't watch TV? You don't watch the commercials. I know that yeah. now. Uh, TV lady didn't know that one. All right. Coming up, we'll talk to a state champion in wrestling, and we'll get, we'll get some punch at audio. Uh, all that's still ahead. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up, uh, bottom of the hour, we're going to visit with a fantastic wrestler who is... Headed to Oregon State to play football. We'll be uh, visiting, uh, of course, uh, with the great Ben Hartman, who is uh, headed to Oregon State to play some football. But uh, uh, first state championship, uh, first in last year, uh, wrestling. Uh, He is a state champion in uh, the heavyweight division and uh, headed to Oregon State to play some football. We'll talk with Hartman coming up. Uh, and uh, we'll play some punch and audio in the meantime. Let's do it. 
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's talk about uh, Jonathan Smith. He's excited about the quarterback play he's going to get this season. He joined us earlier in the show, Oregon State football coach. He's got DJ Uyunglele, among others, in his quarterback stable. Here's Smith. Punch it. The talent slash the competition in the QB room, not just with DJ, but Aiden Childs arriving here as well. Freshman that we think has got a huge upside and Ben returning. So we got three guys there that we're, we're anxious and excited about. Yeah, look, they've got three guys in that quarterback room. They've got depth. They've got talent. The questions for Oregon State won't be at the quarterback position, other than who's going to start or who, uh, how much, uh, you know, who will back up DJ Uingalele. Like, beyond that, I think the questions for Jonathan Smith are largely on the defensive side of the ball. And also, you know, he brought up the fact that they're going to, you know, they, they won a lot of close games last year. You know, the, he's, he's thinking about the games that got away, in particular USC and Washington, close games that they lost. They won a whole bunch of close games too, but that's the marker of a good team, a good experienced team. So on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to lose some experience. They're going to lose a team captain in Jaden Grant, uh, among others. And so I think it's really interesting. It'll be really interesting to see, can Oregon State football avoid the, the trap that Oregon State basketball fell into after it made the Elite Eight? Wayne Tinkle made some mistakes on the recruiting trail, maybe took some players he shouldn't have taken, and, you know, that program is rebuilding again. Jonathan Smith, I've got a lot of faith that the football program will recruit the right kinds of players and and uh, move in the right direction. Hey, John, any 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 possibility that DJ is not the week one starter? I, I would be surprised by it. I just think he's got too many starts under his belt. He didn't come to Oregon State to sit. But the only way you do that, I think, is if you're trying to give a nod to Ben Gulbrinson. And I just don't think Jonathan Smith is in this right now after a 10-win season like to let a guy take a victory lap. They did that in the bowl game, right? They let Tristan Jebbia take some snaps and you know score a touchdown. And I think this season is about getting DJ ready, taking a big step forward as a program. But I don't blame you for asking because I think a lot of people are looking at Ben Gulbrinson going, hey, he just delivered you 10 wins. Can't turn your back on him. Josh Pate talking about a potential college football rule that he thinks is dumb. Punch it. The NFL first down rule is kind of 50-50. The fourth one's getting a lot of pushback. It should. It's stupid. It's not the way football should be played. An incomplete pass to remind you what the rule is. I want you to imagine like a minute and change left in a game. And it's 2nd and 10. You're out of timeouts. And you throw an incomplete pass. Like 35 yards downfield. They are just suggesting once that ball is spotted, clock keeps running. That fundamentally alters football. Stupid. Should, should not ever work that way. And the other question I ask is, where is this line of people? Where is this army of people that think it's such an existential threat that games last a little bit longer? Hey, bottom line, games lasting longer? No, I don't. I don't want that. But I also want the you know the football to keep. I think the the biggest rules that football has to address this off season are trying to find 
some semblance of consistency when it comes to flagging defensive pass rushers as they attack the quarterback at all levels. I think that the biggest frustration that fans have is that they don't know what roughing the passer is. Bill Ryder talking about LeBron. I played this earlier. I'm just going to play a little snippet of it because I want to talk about LeBron. Punch it. It's not good news. As you noted, it's going to be at least two weeks. There will be a reevaluation, maybe a, a second option on top of the reevaluation in two weeks. And talking to Lakers officials, while in one breath they, they will stress that it's LeBron James, and in one of their words, he's an alien and he can play through pain most players can't, there remains a concern that he could miss sizable time after this two weeks, up to and maybe including the remainder of the season. It's 21 games. They don't know if he'll be out the entirety of that time, but it's certainly a concern here in Los Angeles with that Lakers organization as we wait out this two-week period and see where LeBron James is after that. Look, LeBron um, being injured here I think helps the Blazers in a big way. It was a team that I had penciled in in front of the Blazers. I thought they were better than the Blazers. But without LeBron, I think that's a team Portland could catch if you are one of these fans who's hoping that the Blazers aren't in full tank mode. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to a high school wrestler, Ben Hartman. He's a state champion, and he's headed to Oregon State to play some football. I'm excited to talk about this kid. He's an All-American in wrestling. He's a champion in the state of Oregon. And he's going to go try to pancake some people on the football field at Oregon State. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I have a lot of respect for people who wrestle. I think it's one of the most difficult sports. It's an individual sport. You have technique. You have uh, endurance. You have strength. You have uh, equal weights uh, in weight divisions. Uh, one of my favorite wrestling movies, by the way, Vision Quest, uh, as Loudon Swain uh, decided to wrestle. Shoot. Uh, you have to cut weight. I think it's a mental and physical gauntlet. Ben Hartman, our next guest, is a state champion, the 5A champion, at the 285-pound weight division. He won the championship over the weekend. Uh, Crescent Valley uh, had uh, several uh, wrestlers that were wrestling for state championships. Hartman's also headed to Oregon State to play football, and he's joining us now. Uh, congrats, Ben. Big win, man. Thank you. What was that like? Give me an idea your wrestling career when you first started, when you thought, thought to yourself, hey, I might be a state champion one day. Um, well, this was my first year actually competing in wrestling. So at the beginning of the season, it was a dream. And then as the season started getting closer to the end, it became more and more of a reality. What made you want to go out and wrestle? Honestly, just the love for the sport. You know, I've always loved watching wrestling. Um, just watching all the greats, you know, um, and all the college heavyweights. It's just such an a violent, beautiful sport that requires so much. I love that how you, how you talk about that, a violent, beautiful sport. Uh, you also have to deal with uh, a weight division. Now, in your division, is it 285 plus, or do you have to make a certain weight? Because when I was in high school, you had to make a certain weight, but what? how do they handle that division? So 285 is the limit, but okay. after 
uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, you get a two pound allowance. So it becomes 287. Yeah. And at certain tournaments, you know, it'll be plus one the first day and then plus two the second day. So 288, 289. I noticed on your tweet about winning the state championship, there was a pepperoni pizza in there. That has to do something with the weight <laughs> limit. <laughs> Yeah, no, I couldn't have that before the tournament, but right after, me and my dad went and got pizza to celebrate. I love that. What do you weigh today? If you were 285 wrestling, like two, three days later, uh, if you had to weigh in today, what what number would you hit? Oh, I would probably be around 293, 294. Yeah. And is that hard for you? Is that like, you know, as I talk to wrestlers, some guys really struggle with it. Others go, you know, it's a reality because, you know, your body naturally, you're 6'4", you're going to play some offensive line at Oregon State, you're going to be over 300 pounds by the time Oregon State gets done with you. But, you know, was was making weight difficult for you? No, making weight wasn't difficult for me at all, to be honest. I mean, after football season, I was around 300 pounds even, but I didn't really have to cut so much because the practices were just doing that for me. I mean, wrestling practices are much different than football, and you really, you really, really sweat during wrestling. Yeah, give me an idea. Again, we're talking to Ben Hartman, Crescent Valley senior, won a state championship at the 285-pound uh, division in wrestling. He's headed to Oregon State to uh, play offensive line for Jonathan Smith. But give me an idea. Wrestling, how does it help you with football? Because people always say, like, you'll hear receivers talk about track and field helping them with football but how does wrestling help ben hartman in my opinion wrestling really helps me in the, on the football field with my hands hand fighting is such a big portion of my style of wrestling that i feel it really helps me you know, in the trenches on pass pro with my hand fighting as well as the just the endurance i mean people you can be in football shape and then go right in the, in the wrestling and you definitely won't be in wrestling shape but once you're in wrestling shape football shape's not that bad yeah ben uh jonathan smith was on the show earlier he was talking about spring practice he's excited um you know how how are you know why oregon state for you and is it just you know you're a local kid there obviously but why oregon state why was that important for you to get there i chose oregon state for uh, several reasons to be honest but the biggest factor was definitely coach m coach mahalchek the offensive line coach he's such a just a great offensive line coach and after watching the practice i really just decided right then and there i want to be one of his o-linemen yeah he's uh he's a fantastic coach and the uh, the way they run the football you have to be excited about that um look you know you you grow up in that area you in your lifetime i think oregon state has had some downs but this last season they win 10 games how much was the success a factor in your mind and in uh deciding that you were going to go to uh, you you were going to go to Oregon State, not somewhere else. Not very much, to be honest. I mean, with with the success, obviously, it's just a plus for me. I have a chance to compete against really good teams in the Pac-12. Um, not Pac-12. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it'll, you're still. Success, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. The success. Yeah. Success really didn't matter to me. It was mainly the coaching staff that I really enjoyed, but the success is definitely a plus. Ben Hartman with us, uh, wrestling state champion, headed to Oregon State to play football 
Uh, look, Ben, uh, we've been talking about teachers on today's show as well. You, you know, maybe think about a high school teacher or coach who has had an impact on your life that, you know, you've taken lessons from and you'll take into the, you know, the rest of your life. Uh, give me an idea of who comes into your mind when I say that. Um, probably my assistant wrestling coach, uh, Garrett Ulbrick. He really, he really, really helped me develop this year. What was it like for you to stand on top of that podium as a champion, uh, first a district champion, then a state champion, uh, have that medal placed around your neck? And, you know, this is not a sport that you've played your whole life. You know, it has to feel pretty good for you. Yeah, the feeling was definitely surreal. But it was just a, a feeling of happiness, just that all the hard work, all the blood, the sweat, and the tears that I put in finally you know, came out and, and brought me something back. Really cool to hear that. Wanted to give wrestling some love on this show. Uh, did you think at all about wrestling in college, or is that just something, hey, I did it in high school, check the box, state champion, uh, I'm going to really become a football player? I mean, if I ever got the opportunity to wrestle in college, especially at the D1 level where I'm going for football, I definitely take it into consideration. Just my love for the sport is so much that I definitely have to think about it. Now, do, have you watched Vision Quest, or is that movie just too old for you? <laughs> that one's a little bit too old for me, but I have watched uh, Sly Fox. Okay, uh, I'll check that out. Ben Hartman, congrats, state champion. Wish you the best to see you down the road at Oregon State. Thank you. There he is. High school kid, state champion. Thought he composed himself very well for a high school kid. We've had a number of high school kids on the show over the years. Uh, impressed with him. And also, like, let's give some love for the wrestling community out there. We don't talk about it on this show. I think, I think in probably 17 years of doing this show, wrestling has come up a handful of times. Uh, that might be the first or that's the second guest I think we've ever had in, uh, you know, high school wrestling community. But I wanted to give Ben Hartman a fist bump, uh, you know, well-deserved, well-earned. And uh, if you see that Hartman kid running around the football field at Oregon State over the next few years, you'll uh, you'll know a little something about him. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We got the Pulse with Peter Sampson coming up top of the hour. I highly uh, recommend that you stick around. Check out Peter's show. Peter, what do you got on the program today? Yeah, I mean, we have your typical sort of uh, looking at the Blazers, see what they're going to do here. But, man, did you see this uh, this stuff about Dan Snyder? There already so many questions about this guy. And then the uh, the report coming out about a potential uh, uh, you know, bank fraud and overcharging his team. I mean, some really mm-hmm. sketchy stuff that the NFL apparently uh, decided to look the other way on. The uh, That circle of NFL owners... Uh, can be um, very forgiving, and when they turn on you, um, I think it's. I think we're going to end up finding a lot of stuff out about Dan Snyder, and the NFL is obviously willing to sell him out, and and he was in that little circle of trust uh, for an extended period of time that I think ended up. You know, he ended up doing some things that 
people weren't comfortable with. But yeah, uh, it's not going to end well for Dan Snyder. It's not. It's it's uh, the, you know basically the story today from ESPN. He's being investigated by authorities for financial misconduct. Fifty-five million dollar loan uh, he took out without the knowledge of his minority partnerships. So uh, Roger Goodell had to approve the loan, and now. Snyder is demanding that the NFL and his fellow fellow owners clear him and absolve him of any legal liability if he sells the team. He's basically trying to get out of there as cleanly as he can or threaten to stay there. So I think everything that we read about him potentially trying to lock Jeff Bezos out, him saying, well, maybe he doesn't want to sell the team, I think all of that has to be taken into context of this is a negotiation. So um, they they could out him as as an owner. And it's not bad enough that he had a toxic workplace. It's not bad enough that he apparently paid off a woman who claimed that he insulted her. It's not bad enough that he refused for decades just to, to change the team's racist nickname because, you know, he uh, he was just being difficult and, you know, wanted to dig in. But now he apparently may have fraudulently took out a loan. Look out. And the NFL, like you say, Peter, the NFL's in on this. I think they've got some questions to answer as well. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, what would you guys think of the wrestling interview with Ben Hartman? Honest feedback on it because I feel like, I look, it's a high school kid. This isn't like a pro athlete or a college athlete yet getting an interview. I always, I find it rather charming when a high school kid, you know, comes on the show. And I could tell he was a little bit nervous. But, man, he's got a lot to be proud of that he is a state champion in wrestling. And he's going to go be a college football player. No, nervous for sure. And it's totally understandable. I mean, I was just telling Peter this. Like, I remember when I was in high school, I got interviewed by the newspaper on the phone. And I was super nervous, just like not even on the radio, just giving out a quote. Like, it's just a different feeling. But you could tell, like, the love and excitement he had for Oregon State, right? Like, you asked him, you know, was it a big deal that they had a big, a big season? He's like, no. Like, I wanted to go to Oregon State. Like, I just love Oregon State. So, uh, you know, you could tell, like, the love he has for his sports that he plays and he loves wrestling, loves playing football. So, you know, just going back to this whole conversation with teachers and, you know, high school you know, sports and how good it can be, like, that's a perfect example right there. Like, he just loves it, and now he's going off to play college where, you know, he's going to get a good education and uh, have a good time. So, no, it, it was it was a good interview, uh, but definitely nervous you could tell that. And, and here's the thing, too. Like, you know, if you are a six-foot-four-inch kid who goes about 300 pounds, you know, I, I think Mario Cristobal did a nice job when he was at Oregon of developing a lot of highly recruited, talented offensive linemen. But I look at the success that Oregon State has had over the years in developing guys who flew under the radar, guys like Mike Remmers, who's played in a couple Super Bowls, had a long NFL career. Um, and that offensive line that Jim Mahalchek has developed in the last couple of few years with um, a lot of success, those running backs – we all like to talk about B.J. Baylor, and we like to talk about Damian Martinez, and you know we like to talk about uh, the the success that the guys carrying the ball have. But you know we all really know that Oregon State's success, in large part in the run game, has been because of the run game coordinator Mahalchek and the offensive lineman that he has developed. And this is a big body. This is a six foot four inch, three hundred pound guy who, by the time he's done at Oregon State. Might be uh, 6'4", 6'5", and 330 pounds. Don't sleep on Ben Hartman. And the fact that he could, you know, he's got the agility, he's got the endurance, he, 
He tried something new as a high school senior. Like a lot of kids, especially athletes that are good athletes in one sport, will specialize in football or specialize in baseball or specialize in basketball and then, you know, kind of enjoy being a senior or in some cases will leave the school early, stop being a high school kid and, you know, uh, get to campus early in college and get there for spring football. Here's a case of a kid that I think is really setting an example of, hey, he tried something new as a senior. He hadn't wrestled before. He became a state champion in it. That tells me, A, that he's a hardworking kid. B, he's not afraid. This is not a kid who's got fear. And I want to be honest with you on how he got on the show here, guys. I I didn't read about Ben Hartman winning a state championship. I didn't um, – I didn't uh, go out and go, you know, um, I, you know, this kid's going to Oregon State. Maybe I should get him on the show. Let me call Oregon State. No, I saw Ben Hartman tweeting about it, and he and I exchanged direct messages, and I thought this would be a different kind of interview. Let's get a kid who is tweeting, hey, I just want to – it's my first time wrestling, and I just want a state championship. And, by the way, here's a pizza that I'm going to eat afterwards. I just thought it was charming, and I really enjoyed – my favorite part of the interview was at the beginning of the interview when, like, I was trying to lead him into kind of talking about, uh, you know, the fact that he hadn't wrestled before. And he ended up kind of just saying, like, hey, you didn't know this. I hadn't wrestled before. I, I knew that he hadn't wrestled before. But I also thought it was charming when he got a little bit distracted with talking about the Pac-12 because I think what he was getting at is he wasn't sure whether he should call it the Pac-10 or the Pac-12 because there's no USC and no UCLA. And Ben Hartman, I'm here to tell you, you can call it whichever you want. You're playing in that conference, and it'll uh, be a lot of fun to see what he develops into uh, down the road. Let's talk about the LeBron injury and how that might affect the Blazers for a minute because I think it leads nicely into Peter's show. Steven, you and I are looking at the standings today. Uh, I had originally at the trade deadline – pick the Lakers as a team that would ultimately finish in front of the Blazers. Right now, they're going to fade with no LeBron. They are, uh, you know, half a game behind the Blazers, and I think they'll fade down the stretch if LeBron doesn't play or even if he does come back. I, I kind of doubt if he's going to come back, uh, or if he does, if it will matter. But now I'm looking at the Blazers. You know, they're only, you know, percentage points out of the 10 spot, which mean they would be in the play-in. Uh, in the play-in tournament there. The Pelicans are right in front of them. Can this team take a step or two forward? Can they get to, you know, can they get to six? Uh, you know, they're, what, three games out of sixth place. Two, really two, two, two games, games in yeah. the, yeah, two games out of six. Can they get there? Or is that a fool's errand? No, I think they can get there. And, you know, they've had stretches this year where they've played really well. And we talked about this yesterday, how well Dame is playing, like, if he continues to play, obviously not at this 100% level he's playing at, you know, 80%, 85% of what he's at right now, like, this team can go on a run. And you hope Anthony Simons, there's been some good news that Anthony Simons could come back earlier than maybe expected. Um, same with Nurk, like, you have to hope he comes back. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it, they're only a couple games out of sixth place. But I'm with you. With, with the LeBron injury, it really puts a lot on the Lakers' Uh, supporting cast and going to put a lot on Anthony Davis and his body, which he's never really stayed healthy as well. So I, I, I'm with you. I like the Lakers more than the Blazers after the deadline. If LeBron is out, I like the Blazers now above the Lakers, and it seems like it's going to be a competition for that final 10 seed with the uh, with the Blazers and the Pelicans and probably the Utah Jazz as well. Like I think Portland should realistically 
um, they should make the the play-in. Like uh, now with LeBron out, I but think. But do the, you want to make the play-in, or is the better move here just to, you know, l- l- listen? They're they're also a game out of being thirteenth. Yeah. So if uh, if you're thinking if you're taking the long view, what's best for this franchise for them to get into that play-in thing or? To fade and get a few more combinations in the lottery. For me, it's fade. It's fade and lose every game the rest of the season and see how many uh, ping pong balls you can get to try to get Wimbanyama. But at the same time, we talked about this also. Like they put out ticket renewals after the Damian Lillard game. Like they want to make the playoffs. The Blazers basically have put it out there. Like we want to be in the middle. We want to make the playoffs. We want to make you know that couple million dollars for you know for the playoff revenue. And that's just the way the direction is of this franchise for the last couple seasons, you know, really for actually more than a couple seasons for a long time. Like they're okay being in the middle. And I think that's exactly where they're going to be in the middle. Like Damian Lillard is too good. If he's going to play for the trailblazers really to tank and lose every game, but they're also not good enough for him to probably get to that top five, probably not even the top six. Like they're just stuck in the middle and it's kind of what they've wanted to do the last few years because you know, that's They're going to make their money in the playoffs. They're going to make their money in the play. And if they get there, so, I don't know. There just needs to be better direction. If I was in charge of the Blazers, I would uh, be fully on tank board here and trying to get as many ping pong balls because there's no point of making the plan. And then even if you win the plan, you get the eight seed and then you get swept in the first round by the Nuggets. Like that doesn't benefit the Blazers in any sort of way. The only way it benefits them is those those playoff games are worth about a million dollars each. And so if they could get you know a couple of home games in that series, of course, that's money in their pocket, makes their bottom line look better. Uh, but let's talk about what that means for the draft uh, and, and, you know, their draft pick. Is it better for them to finish as a playoff team or is it better for them to end up with, like, the sixth or seventh pick in the draft? Yeah, that's the confusing one because they don't – So okay, so the, in the NBA you can trade your future first-round picks if you don't owe anybody a pick, but the Blazers owe their pick to the Bulls. So if the Blazers do make the playoffs, their first-round pick goes to the Chicago Bulls. Right, but if the Blazers miss out on the playoffs, the Blazers keep that pick, so they would have two first-round picks this year. But then they're not able to trade future first-round picks until they settle up the pick with the Bulls. So for me, like I think it's better to not make the playoffs right now, get those two first-round picks, and then Joe Cronin during the trade deadline he traded for five second-round picks for Gary Payton the second, and I think his thought process is he may be dangling those out in front of the Bulls to try to just convey that pick and end the, all the stipulations on the pick so mm-hmm. they can trade their future picks in hope that a superstar becomes disgruntled and available on the trade market in the offseason. Not saying that's going to happen, but they're hoping that. So then they can trade future first, Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simons. They can get, you know, whether it's you know, Kevin Durant type of player, Joel Embiid, one of these guys that becomes frustrated in the offseason – they have trade assets to hopefully try to get one of those guys. The Bulls have the Blazers pick that was in a three-team deal that involved uh, the sign-in trade of Laurie Markkinen. And the the Bulls, will that pick is lottery protected. Yes. A lot of people have talked about it through 2028. And if, uh, if it doesn't end up going to the Bulls by 2028, it becomes a second-round pick. I don't have it in front of me, but that's my understanding of it. And so... Uh, you know, a lot of people are like hoping that that can be that can become a second round pick in 2028. But that's a long time to sit there uh, wishing and hoping. And, you know, there there's some sense here that if the Blazers make the playoffs, that that it's just done. And that's and it's over. Peter Sampson will have more on it coming up on the pulse. I think 
that's a good place to leave it. We're back tomorrow with another great show. Big guests, a lot to talk about always. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.